Hi, everyone. This is Janine Stanley, and we are talking today with Malcolm Glenn from Uber, one of our Emerald sponsors of the 2017 ACB convention. Hello, Malcolm. Hi, Janine. How are you today? Good. Tell us a little bit about the company and how this particular service works. Absolutely. Thanks, Jean, and thanks to everyone for listening. So, again, my name is Malcolm Glenn, and I work at Uber in the Washington, D.C. office. I'm part of a team that helps build partnerships and relationships with community organizations. And my particular focus is on working with issue groups, nonprofits, and advocacy organizations, particularly those that help people who have traditionally had substandard access to either transportation or work or the overlap of the two. So the opportunity to work to help make our service more accessible for people with disabilities is a really inspiring one for me. So to get to your question, what is Uber? I think you're right that most people know what Uber is at this point, but I'll give a brief overview in case there are those who don't. Essentially, the idea behind Uber is you press a button on your phone and a car comes and picks you up and takes you where you want to go. It's really that simple. Through an app that you download on your smartphone, you can, in over 450 cities and 70 countries, get a ride to wherever you need to go. Now, that service varies a little bit depending on where you are, but the high-level overview, the real value proposition for Uber is a couple of things. It's relatively low cost. In most places where Uber is available, you can get a car within just a couple of minutes. Uh, most drivers uh, are usually pretty pleasant. They offer a pretty positive experience. You're actually rating your driver at the end of every ride, and the driver's rating you, so there's an opportunity to make sure that that accountability measure makes sure that the quality of the trip is high. Um, each trip is GPS tracked, so you don't have to worry about giving your driver directions or your driver taking you out of your way. You actually see the price of the trip up front, so you know how much you're going to pay. And if you don't want to pay that, then you can always decide not to take that ride or to take that ride at a later time. Um, there are no cash payments, so you don't have to worry about having bills and whether you're going to have the right change or whether a driver is going to have change to give you the money. You enter your credit card into the app and you get out of the car when you're done with the ride. Um, and if you run into issues, there's a very easy way to report those issues. You can either do so in the application through our support menu, or you can go online and log into your account and submit an issue, whether you leave your wallet or a driver treats you poorly. Any issue, you can write into our support team and they'll respond to you to help you get it situated. Uber has been a sponsor of the ACB convention for the past several years now. What's new this year? That's a really great question. So folks who have been involved with ACB have probably seen or engaged with us over the years. And I think one of the things that we've consistently heard, whether it's in focus groups or just um, in our conversations with folks at the convention, is that there are still too many instances where people are having their service dogs denied by the drivers. And quite frankly, that's unacceptable. And it's something we've worked really hard on and pushed a number of resources to to try to eliminate the issue. And so there are a couple things that we've done in the last year since we were last out at the ACB convention in Minneapolis. Um, and I would like to go through those just in the next couple of minutes. The first is we've updated our service animal policy. So we had a policy in place, but it was oftentimes hard to find. You know, folks didn't always know that we had a policy that was zero tolerance for um, not accepting service animals. Well, now we've published that policy online for anyone to find. You can find it at accessibility.uber.com. 
And that policy highlights drivers' contractual as well as legal obligations to riders traveling with service animals. So it's not only Uber policy, but as you all know, it's also the law under the Americans with Disabilities Act. And we've expressed in the course of that policy and in our conversations otherwise, our continuing commitment to addressing rider complaints when they do arise. There are a couple other things that I'm really excited about. One of them is now for every single driver, whether that's a new driver who's just getting on the platform or an existing driver who's been driving for a couple months or a couple years, we have in-app notifications that require them to acknowledge their obligations related to accepting service animals. So that means when a driver gets online, before he, he or she can even start driving, they have to accept in the app the, and acknowledge that they're willing and able to take all service animals during all of their trips. This is important because we send drivers a lot of information about where they should be going in a city, where they can maximize their earnings, particular events that are coming up. And I think a lot of it gets lost in the shuffle. There are so many emails, and they really just want to get out on the road and start driving so they can make money. But the truth is, if we can give them these messages as they're about to drive, right when they're thinking about it, when these things are top of mind, we really think we can change the culture so people know that if they don't accept a service animal, we have a zero-tolerance policy, and they'll be disbarred from using the platform. But it goes beyond that, right? So mm -hmm. you can accept that that notification in the app, but you know, if you drive for a long time, you may forget that. So in addition to having to accept it in the app, we send quarterly communications to every single one of our drivers in the United States, reminding them again what their obligations are around transport, transporting service animals. And then finally, we've made the process when those incidents do arise easier to deal with. So if you do have an instance where you feel like you have been denied a ride because you have a service, service animal. We have a specialized support team that handles all those service animal-related complaints. So if you submit a complaint, particularly about a service animal, you can go into our app and into our support menu, and you can select a button. It's just one click into the support menu that says, I'd like to report an issue with a service animal. It goes to a team that's particularly focused on this. They'll investigate, and if there is an issue and the driver has uh, denied you uh, you and your service animal, that driver no longer gets to drive for the Uber platform. So those are some of the things from the aspect of our policies that we've been really excited about. There are a couple other things that we've also instituted in the platform itself. So very basic things. People say, I'd love to know the car color when my car is coming to pick us up. Yes. So now if you're using voice, voiceover <laughs> or talkback, yes, you can see yeah, the, the car color will be read out to you um, if you hover over that um, box. One another thing that people have asked for is audible ETAs. So they'd like to know, you know, on a regular cadence, maybe every 30 seconds or so, they'd like to know my car is four minutes away, three minutes away, two minutes away. So now the app will read back to you what the ETA is as it counts down to your car arriving. And then another thing that we've done, and we've gotten this feedback from both users who are blind and sighted users as well, is they'd love to have saved locations. If you go to a couple of different places, the grocery store, work, home, your friend's house, you shouldn't have to re-enter those locations every single time you want to take a ride. So now you can save a number of different locations in the app. So you can just click on that location. It'll automatically populate. You can just hit request and the car will come and get you. So we're hopeful that these things, both from a policy perspective and a product perspective, will make the experience using Uber a little bit easier than it's been in the past. Uber also has some auxiliary services that you have. Tell us about a few of those. One my family just discovered is Uber Eats. So obviously the basic premise of Uber is press a button and get a ride. 
But increasingly we realize it shouldn't just be get a ride. What if you can press a button and get whatever you want? So Eats, as you mentioned, Janine, is the one that is most well-known. So it's similar to apps that you may be familiar with like Grubhub or Seamless Web, whereby instead of you know uh, going onto a website for a restaurant and ordering there, you are given a number of different restaurants through a separate application, an application called Uber Eats, that you can download just like you can the normal Uber application. And you can pick out from a bunch of different restaurants. You can pick from their full menus. You can say what you want. And we use the same drivers that we actually use on the Uber platform. So if a, if a driver goes and drops off a person, they will actually get a dispatch in their app that tells them to go to a restaurant. And they'll go to the restaurant. And what we do is we've timed the application to dispatch drivers such that they arrive at the restaurant just as soon as the food arrives. So then they pick up that food and then deliver it to you at your house. Um, it's a very, very convenient way if you're looking to you know, have a meal in the evening and you don't want to cook or you don't want to have to go out. It's a very easy way to have the meal come to you. This is not as widely available around the United States, but in a handful of cities, we also have something called Uber Rush. So if you need to get a package, say, to your friend by the end of the day, and obviously the mail won't get it there by the end of the day, and you don't have the ability or the time to go across town to bring it to them in person, you can actually call what is basically a courier on a service called Uber Rush, and you can give them the package, whatever it is, and then they can deliver that to that person across town. These are just a couple of the initial forays that we've done outside of the traditional press a button, get a ride. We're increasingly thinking more about how to be not just a, a company that provides transportation, but also a company that's really involved in the logistics of getting things and people around a city. So if you stay tuned, we'll probably have more to report next year and in the coming weeks and months about other services that we're building out. Hi, it's Debbie Hazelton, and here is Peter Korn on behalf of Amazon, a Ruby sponsor. Welcome. Thank you so much. It is fantastic to be here. This is Amazon's first time, I trust won't be our last. And we are really excited to share with ACB members some of the work we've been doing to make our products and services accessible to folks with disabilities and particularly to folks who are blind or low vision. We've been working on accessibility for a few years in sort of the, the new era. The new era of accessibility really began in 2013 when we made our Kindle app for iOS and Android accessible. Yay! And that opened up. <laughs> I love that app. <laughs> Thank you. That opened up uh, a few million books uh, to our customers. And then later that year, we brought the Android accessibility work to our 2013 model Fire tablets. Fire OS is a derivative of Android. And we brought over TalkBack and the magnifier and their idea of large print to Fire Tablets starting in 2013. We've been investing and improving on that accessibility work in Fire OS. The following year in 2014, we expanded the notion of what large print was to truly large print. And then the following year in 2015, we introduced our very own written from scratch screen reader called VoiceView. VoiceView is available on all of our Fire tablets, starting with the $49 
Fire 7 tablet, a 7-inch that we'll have at the conference, as well as the new $89 8-inch tablet and our 10-inch. Why would you have three sizes? It's primarily about features and screen size. The the 7-inch tablet is obviously our most affordable at $49. It has a monaural speaker rather than the Dolby stereo speakers of our other tablets. It's really optimized for doing things like reading books, Mm. whereas the 8 and especially the 10-inch tablet are optimized around watching videos. You can read books and watch videos on all of them. Every tablet does everything, but a bigger screen is great for movies. It's also great for folks with deteriorating vision who need large print. We did that in 2015. Then about Eight, nine months later, in May of 2016, we brought VoiceView to Kindle e-readers, the iconic e-reader that is 10 years old this year, now talks. But 2016 wasn't over yet. One month later, we brought VoiceView in preview form to Fire TV, making the television interface accessible. We did it as a preview form in June. We followed that up at the end of the year with a complete overhaul of the Fire TV interface. And with that, a complete overhaul of VoiceView. It's no longer preview. And we added features like a review mode, the ability to navigate by word and character so you can spell the actor's name. We began extending the Android, or now Fire OS, accessibility API with things like hint text and overview information to really make Fire TV warm and welcoming for new users. The base model is sort of a squarish box. It'll do 4K video and it's $89, but we have a value Fire TV stick that's a little bit bigger than a stick of Wrigley Spearmint gum for only $39. And we think that at a price like $39, we're probably going to get folks who've never used a screen reader before. And so it was really important to make a friendly, welcoming interface with a tutorial that starts the first time you use it and takes you through the interface. (laughs) We closed out 2016 with one last thing in the video space, We brought speech to the Amazon video playing app on what we call living room devices. So if you were to have an Xbox One or a Sony PlayStation or a Roku or many smart TVs like the Samsung smart TVs, Sony Blu-ray players, now those that talk now have a talking Amazon video app. So any device that you have... If it talks and can play videos, it's highly likely that the Amazon video player will talk there. We began this year in February returning to Kindle. We made the Kindle app for PC accessible. We've been working with NV Access and VFO. And so if you've got JAWS or NVDA, you can use that and enjoy now over 6 million accessible Kindle ebooks. Oh, gosh, that is so good. We've been working on the Kindle file format itself. So now publishers can include alt text in their Kindle ebooks. 
and we have added a flag to the file to indicate whether it's screen reader supported. So if you are browsing the Kindle online store, look for the screen reader supported flag to have our guarantee that it will work with your screen reader. Then in March, we did something on the retail website for customers who want to use Amazon.com or buy through the iPhone app or any of our apps. We've added a dedicated toll-free phone number that you can call and the customer service agents are trained in screen reader use and in the kinds of questions that customers have. To round out the the recent work, which is what we're going to be showing here at the convention over the next days, we have introduced a Fire TV edition smart TV. We're working with Element Electronics and Westinghouse who have built Fire TV and the VoiceView screen reader and Alexa into an entire line of 4K smart TVs. These TVs should now be shipping at the time of this recording, and those come in four sizes, 43 inches, 50 inches, 55, and 65. Are you going to make them smaller? That's great feedback. We'll take that back to our partners. All of these TVs, VoiceView provides complete access to everything. The -the over-the-air broadcasts, electronic program guide, If you connect a cable box, which exposes program information, all of that is accessible. Switching inputs, all of these things can also be initiated through Alexa, through the voice remote. Just pick up the remote and say, tune to NBC or switch input to Blu-ray. Having introduced VoiceView to Fire TV and Fire TV Edition smart TVs, There was one last obvious thing for us to do, which we've just announced, which is bringing audio description to Amazon Video. At launch, over 100 titles from studios like Disney, Lionsgate, NBC, Paramount, Warner Brothers are all available. So things like The Hunger Games or Inception, Captain America Civil War, The Big Short, All of these are now available via audio description, and we're working with the good folks at the Audio Description Project to make sure that their list of these titles is always up to date. And in addition to titles from other studios, Amazon original TV shows, those also are getting audio description at launch. Ten of the most popular, Bosch and The Man in the High Castle, Mozart in the Jungle, Transparent, as well as kids' shows like Creative Galaxy and Gordimer Gibbons are available as full seasons of audio description. Fantastic. One last thing that uh, I want to talk about that Mm -hmm. we are just rolling out is our first version of Braille support for the VoiceView screen reader on Fire tablets. We are supporting... Baum and Humanware displays, as well as the brand new Orbit Reader 20. Later today, Amazon will be joining the Audio Description Accessibility and Technology session from 4.45 to 6 p.m. 
At this session, we will talk about and demonstrate the audio description work we have brought to Amazon Video. I hope to see you there. Here is the agenda for Tuesday, July 4th, beginning in the Rose Ballroom at 8 a.m. Entertainment, Sandra Rokonik, Piano, Salt Lake City, Utah. 8.30 a.m. Invocation, Pastor George Gordon, Austin, Texas. Pledge of Allegiance, Richard Kolash, President, Visually Impaired Veterans of America, Viva, Maplewood, Missouri, and David Dowland, Viva Secretary, Treasurer, Tulsa, Oklahoma. 8.35 a.m. ACB Business, ACB Sponsor Recognitions, Marjorie Beeman, Advertising and Sponsorship Coordinator, Austin, Texas. Constitution and Bylaws, John Huffman, Chair, Indianapolis, Indiana. Resolutions, Mark Reichert, Chair, Arlington, Virginia. Presiding Officer, Ray Campbell. ACB Secretary, Glen Ellen, Illinois. 9.15 a.m. Murder, Mayhem, Medicine, Miss Manners, and more. 30 years as an NLS narrator, Madeline Bazard. American Printing House for the Blind, Louisville, Kentucky. 9.45 a.m. Ruby Sponsor Presentation highlights in the Amazon Entertainment Space with the Fire TV and Smart Televisions. Peter Korn, Accessibility Architect, Amazon, Sunnyvale, California. 10.15 a.m. Break. 10.30 a.m. Executive Director's Report, Eric Bridges, Alexandria, Virginia. 11 a.m. Able Act, Achieving a Better Life Experience, Section 529A of the Internal Revenue Code. What is it and how can you take full advantage of it? Anthony, Tony Stevens, ACB Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, Alexandria, Virginia. 11.20 a.m. News from Down Under. Meet Cameron Rolls, member of the Board of Directors, Vision Australia, Canberra, Australia, 11.30 a.m., award presentations and updates from the ACB Audio Description Project, Joel Schneider, Director, Audio Description Project, Tacoma Park, Maryland, Chris Gray, ADP Awards Chair, St. Louis, Missouri, and Dan Spoon, Chair, Audio Description Project, Steering Committee, Orlando, Florida. 11.55 a.m. Announcements. And that concludes the agenda for Tuesday, July 4th. All right. Good morning, everybody. It is July 4th. Happy Independence Day to everybody in the U.S. I know all the fireworks will be going off this evening uh, for the July 4th uh, holiday. And I'll go ahead and bring up the house and let you hear the pre-entertainment. The general session will be getting underway in about 12 minutes, give or take. And we hope you enjoy the coverage. So with that, here we go.
Oh, right up here. Good morning. <laughs> All right. Good morning on the Independence Day, the 4th of July. Let's, yay. Welcome, ACB Radio. In some places, it's afternoon for ACB Radio. So <laughs> I want to thank our entertainment um, this morning, my friend and colleague, from Salt Lake City, Utah, and ACB's representative to the Braille Authority of North America, Sandy Rukinich. Thank you, Sandy. She specifically asked for the 4th of July because she wanted to play all those wonderful patriotic tunes that we don't hear enough of. So thank you. Thank you, Sandy. All right. I know people are coming in. And we're going to continue on. And the first item we're going to have this morning is our invocation from Pastor George Gordon from Austin, Texas. And George is a member of ACB in the Austin area. And we welcome him. Thank you, George. Good morning. Right into it. Okay, thank you. Good morning, conventioners. Giving praise to God and to his unspeakable gifts and to our president of this convention and to all the board members and all the chapter presidents and all of my fellow brethren. It's good to be here at my first ACB convention. I'm just so grateful. And we're celebrating Independence Day, and it's a blessing to be here. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus, we thank you for blessing all of us conventioners to come together in one place, Lord, to celebrate your love, your guidance, your direction, and the united effort that we, you have blessed us to set forth in this convention. 
and in our cities. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We can't thank you enough. We praise your name, Lord. All praise go to thee. We know that you will continue to guide us and direct us in, in our efforts, Lord, to be stronger individuals and work collectively with one another so that we can continue to receive all the blessings and gifts that you have in store for us. We pray that you'll bless us and keep us in this convention. Bless us to share with one another, continue to, to love one another, and continue to spread the good news about all the gifts that you give us. In Christ Jesus' name we pray forever and ever. Can we all say amen? Amen. 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 All right. Well, today is especially important for our next item of business because we have the right to stand up today and to express ourselves in our Pledge of Allegiance to our country. And who better to lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance on the 4th of July than representatives from Visually Impaired Veterans of America? So... So with us today from Viva is David Dallin. He's the secretary treasurer for Viva. And they're a, a member who, who is everywhere. We all love her. She's a very active Viva member. That's Marjorie Beeman. So they'll step to the podium. Please stand. Good morning. Good morning. I'd like to introduce a, a, a lady who has been, she and her husband were in the original veterans group, uh, Miss Marjorie Beeman. Okay, if you will, face the flag and we'll start. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Thanks for coming up and bringing John. I brought John with me. Yes. Thank you. All right. Is John Huffman at the head table? Okay. If he's in the room, we'd like John Huffman at the head table. I'm going to turn the microphone over to our morning boost of energy. Right. She's better than a jolt in your coffee. That's Marjorie Beeman. Good morning, everyone. Are you awake yet? Okay, I'm going to do the sponsors again this morning, and then I will also add the individual sponsors. Double Diamond Sponsors, 25000 AT&T, ACB Radio Streaming, Google, ACB Conference Banquet, Microsoft, ACB Radio Worldwide Broadcast, Vanda Pharmaceuticals, 
ACB Educational and Recreational Events, and ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk. Give them a hand. Our diamond sponsor, 20,000 General Motors Audiovisual Services. Give them a hand. Emerald sponsors, 15,000 Comcast Volunteer Services, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, Performing Arts Showcase, and ACB Sparks of Enthusiasm Auction, which was last night, Sprint, Information Desk, Uber, Communication Center and Newspaper, Verizon, Conference Registration. Give them a hand. Ruby sponsors 10,000, Adobe, ACB, Brenda Dillon, Memorial Walk, Audio Described Movie and Recreation Zone, Amazon, ACB Cafe, Humanware, Official Conference Program, Regal Cinema, Kids Explorer Club, and ACB, Brenda Dillon, Memorial Walk, VFO, Official Sponsor of All general sessions. Give them a hand. Onyx sponsors 5,000, Charter Communications, ACB Life Member Reception, Facebook International Culture Exchange Day, Macro Degeneration Foundation, ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk, and Low-Viz Guide Indoor App, National Association of Broadcasters, General Operation Support, National Industries for the Blind, ACB Marketplace, Buell Fund, Brenda Dillon, Dillon Memorial Walk and Recreation Zone. Give them a hand. Topaz Sponsors, 3,000, ACB Lions, Scholarship Students Travel. Give them a hand. Coral Sponsors, 2000, Randolph Shepherd Vendors of America, Scholarship Dinner and Luncheon for Outstanding Blind Students, Cox Communication Incorporated, Students, Future ACB Leaders or Young Professionals, Sparks Therapeutics Incorporated, ACB Cafe Day, July the 2nd, and Information Access Workshop, Track Phone, ACB Cafe, July the 3rd, and Advocacy Training Workshop, DQ Systems, Durward McDaniel First Timers Reception, give them a hand. Pearl Sponsors, Disability Relations Group, ACB Cafe Day, July the 4th, that's today, Discover Technologies Affiliate and Chapter Development Seminar, HIMS Incorporated, Luncheon to Recognize Outstanding Blind Students, Library Users of America, NLS Talking Book Narrator, Bomb USA, is ACB Cafe Day, July the 5th. Give them a hand. Now for individual sponsors, the Titanium, which are the 500, we have Richard Bird. Vicki Prawn, Alexis Siegert, Fred Siegert, Douglas Sluton. If I pronounce the names wrong, you have to forgive me. 
Lainey Feingold and Linda Dedarian, Lighthouse for the Blind, Seattle. Those are our titanium. Give them a hand. Platinum, 250. Dennis Eminem. Marjorie Beeman, I do not pronounce that. <laughs> Steve Dresser, Nona Graves, Nina Kagan, John McCann, Charles Naberetti, Frank Ventura. Give him a hand. <laughs> then we have the goal, which are the 100. We have Sue Amateur, Andy Arvison, JoLynn Bailey Page, Tom Bergender, Karen Campbell. Page. Ray Campbell, Kim Carlson, Olivia Chavez, Gail Crossan, Vicki Curley, Janet Dickelman, Dan Dillon, Elizabeth Betsy Dorm, Grady Ebert, George Holliday, Denny Huff, Richard Johnson, Tom Jones, Mark Lasser, Barbara Lombardi, Kathleen Lines, Scott Marshall, Glenn McCulley, Rhonda Nelson, Freddie Pico, Harlow Pease, Alan Peterson, Donna Pomerantz, Marilyn Prawn, Richard Ruday, Adam Rushevelle, <coughs> Carla Rushevelle, Sandra Sermons, Patrick Sheehan, Darian Slayton Fleming, Karen Spry, Miles Tomasiro, Donald Thompson, uh, Vita Savali, and Renee Zicklins. I pronounce it wrong every time, and I know it. Virginia Suckerson. Anyway, those are the ones for the 100. And if I mispronounce your name, forgive me. Give them a hand. Okay, the president said I could have one fast privilege. If you are leaving, to catch a flight at 5.30 a.m., 5.45 a.m., 6 o'clock a.m., 6.10 a.m., 6.30 a.m., on 7.6, or 7.8, they should have a shuttle for you at 4 a.m., so check at the bell stand to make sure they get your name on the list. 4 a.m., and I will meet you on the 7th and 8th at the airport on 4 a.m., but not on the 6th. But there will be people at the airport for that, and that's very important so you don't get left behind. Thank you so much, Madam President. All right, thank you. All right. So, John, are you ready? We're going to do some constitution and bylaws work. This is the business session. This podium is a little rocky here. There we go. Yes, Madam President, I'm ready. John, okay. We have uh, hopefully time for two first readings, which I hope will work out because that's how many first readings we have left to go. Um. Mmm, tastes like licorice. Okay, the first proposal that we're going to read this morning uh, relates to bylaw, a, bylaw 2, Section A, 
And the purpose of the proposed amendment is to rewrite the entire section to eliminate dues procedure, dues procedure, dues collection procedures, sorry, which have, for the most part, already been abandoned and to officially sanction use of the affiliate member management system. The current language reads as follows. A, postmarked by January the 15th of each year, the national office shall forward to each member at large written notice of the due date and annual, an annual amount, <laughs> I'm sorry, the due date and the annual membership dues. Postmarked by January the 15th of each year, the national office shall forward to each affiliate a computer printout containing notification of the due date for mailing of dues and a copy of the most recent membership list filed with the national office. The affiliate shall verify the list and make appropriate additions, deletions, and or corrections. This verification shall be noted on the printout itself. The affiliate shall address the envelope containing the current membership information accompanied by its annual dues to the national office and shall deposit it in the United States mail postage prepaid or any service providing certified receipts on or before March 15. Compliance with this provision has occurred when supported by evidence satisfactory to the Credentials Committee. The number of votes which an affiliate is entitled to cast at a conference and convention shall be computed based on the March 15 membership information and dues mailed as prescribed above. If the March 15 membership information and dues mailed disagree as to the number of the affiliate's voting members, the lower number shall be used provided that the lower number reflects the inclusion of that affiliate's ACB life members. An affiliate may amend its March 15 membership information at any time during the year and shall remit dues as appropriate to allow individual new members to vote at the conference and convention. If an affiliate makes no changes in its March list for three consecutive years, the board of directors shall require a complete recertification of the affiliate's voting members. If an affiliate fails to comply with this section, noncompliance may result in diminished 
voting privileges and the second consecutive year of non-compliance may result in the revocation of the affiliate's charter by a two-thirds affirmative vote of the board of directors. B, the secret, well, this is not changed, but it's here, so I'll read it. The secret ballot component of a record vote shall be conducted through the use of a paper ballot. Now, if you will allow me to pause for a quick swallow of water here. All right. Now I'm going to proceed to read the proposed language. Once again, this is bylaw 2, section A, and reads as follows. A. By December the 15th of each year, the national office shall forward to each member at large written notice of the due date and amount for annual membership dues. B, by December the 15th of each year, the national office shall forward to each affiliate notice of the start of the annual membership certification process. Each affiliate shall make additions, corrections, deletions and changes in its membership data and certify its annual membership count in accordance with such procedures as shall be established by the ACB Board of Directors which procedure shall be published to the membership. Affiliate dues, likewise, shall be remitted in accordance with the established certification procedure. An affiliate may certify membership at any time except, one, during such time as the affiliate's membership amount is being processed by the ACB staff for the, for the purpose of computing the correct amount of affiliate dues and two, no new members may be, certifi may be certified after the established record date for the annual conference and convention until the conclusion of that convention. Section C. Compliance with the certification process has occurred if supported by evidence satisfactory to the Credentials Committee. The number of affiliate votes which an affiliate is entitled to cast at a conference and convention 
shall be computed based on the number of members certified by the affiliate. If an affiliate makes no changes in its membership data for three consecutive years, the Board of Directors shall require a complete recertification of the, affiliate, of the affiliate's voting members. If an affiliate fails to comply with this section, the first year of noncompliance may result in diminished voting privileges And the second consecutive year of noncompliance may result in the revocation of the affiliate's charter by a two-thirds affirmative vote of the board of directors. Then further, uh, the amendment would redesignate the current section B as section D is in dog with no with no changes in the current language that concludes the re that concludes the reading of this proposal time permitting Sean, I can go on um, to re could you just give a few sentences on rationale for that I beg your pardon for could you give a couple sentences on rationale for this change rationale from for the, the change uh-huh well it's somewhat spelled out in the introductory language um, where it says, and I will, I'll read it again, Bylaw 2, Section A, rewrite the entire section to eliminate DU's collection procedures which have, for the most part, already been abandoned and to officially sanction use of the affiliate membership management system. That does, that does do it quite nicely. Thank you. <laughs> All right. That's right. All right. Madam President, do we have time to proceed then to the uh, third one? Okay. This would be arbitrarily labeled as Proposal 2017-02, uh, Annual Affiliate Dues. And the proposal is as follows. Bylaws 3, Section E. Rewrite the entire section to eliminate, to eliminate procedures which have, essentially it's the same rationale, to eliminate procedures which have large, by and large been abandoned and to officially sanction use of the uh, AMMS system. So these, these proposals are <laughs> related. All right, bylaw three, section E, current language E. All annual dues shall be made to the national office on or before March the 15th all annual dues shall cover the calendar year. If the amendment is, the proposed amendment is approved, the language would now read as follows. The National Office shall compute the amount of annual dues to be paid 
by each affiliate based on the number of members certified with no annual dues assessed for ACB life members. The national office shall forward notice to each affiliate of the amount of annual dues to be remitted in accordance with the procedure referenced in bylaw 2. All annual dues shall cover the calendar year. And that concludes the reading. So just re refresh my memory. We have now had first readings of all proposed amendments, correct? That's correct. All right. Okay. So I, we're, we're having a good morning, John. So maybe would you like to do second reading of the one you did yesterday that was quite short? Or yes, do you I want could. to hold that for tomorrow? Yes, I could. You want to hold? Uh, okay. Now, I'd, I'd be happy to do it if we've got time. I think we have time. Because once it's the read, more business we conduct, it's before you know, the convention that makes it a lot easier down the road. So let's go for ahead. For debate. If you'll give me a moment, I seem to need to delve into the magic briefcase here. Uh -oh. <laughs> All right. Do we have our door prize people this morning? Hey, Would you like it, John, prize. if we did a couple door prizes and lighten the pressure a little bit here and give you a couple minutes to pull up that other amendment? Thank you, door prize folks. We love door prizes. Good morning. Good morning. Our very first door prize is our usual Nevada Council of the Blind. 20 Ike silver dollars in the cobalt blue box in the shape of Nevada with a map. And our first prize goes to... <laughs> Kenneth Sermon, are you in the room? I think that might be Simeon. I think he is here. All right. He's in Texas over there. He's standing up. <laughs> okay. Our next prize is ACB Capital, and it is a lovely goodie basket. Everything in it is edible, anywhere from crackers to whatever. And our winner is... Graham Steele, are you in the room? Graham Steele from, from Wyoming? Graham Steele is not from or Texas. Or stand up. If you're in the room, please shout out. Stand up. Oh, she's up. sitting in Texas. There we go. I okay. just, she's not from Texas. <laughs> she is here. All right. Do you Over have, with the Texas folks. Do you Madam have time President. for one more? Or yeah. Just, okay. How you doing, John? Madam we President. Have, Okay, we'll do one more door prize. Okay. Yes, by all means, I might win it. 
Okay. <laughs> okay, our next prize is a t-shirt from uh, Utah Council of the Blind, and there is a can of something or other inside. Oh, it's cocoa, they think. And our winner is... Kenneth Stewart, are you in the room? Please stand up, shout out, raise your hand, jump up and down, whatever. So, Is he here? He is here. He, Thank you very okay. much. I'm assured he's here. I don't know that he stood up and waved his hand around, but okay. Okay, it's confirmed. Three winners, three in a row. You guys are doing good. Well, You're be, here. <laughs> Yahoo. All right. Obviously, this is the time to give door prizes. <laughs> That's right. Even if I don't win. All right. Go ahead, John. All right. This is a re the second reading of the proposal, which you first heard yesterday morning, and it concerns um, the amount of dues for members at large. The current language reads as follows, uh, and let me see. We are in Bylaw 3, Section A. The current language reads as follows. A. Dues for annual members at large shall be $5 a year. The proposal is quite simply to raise that amount from $5 to $10, and so if approved, the new language in the bylaw would read as follows. Annual dues for members at large uh, shall be $10 a year, period. And if, if we have time... Um, I will report that the Constitution and Bylaws Committee recommends this uh, with a due pass, and I so move. All right. Motion's been made and seconded to um, adopt this amendment to the bylaws. Any discussion? This is for member ACB member at large dues. If anyone's at a mic and they want to speak to this. I'm okay. I Dan Spoon to speak. Dan against. Spoon. I'll recognize Dan Spoon. He's in the mic and he identified himself. Thank you. Okay. And I am to speak against this motion. I believe that ACB, if nothing else, stands for fairness and equity. Why would we charge national dues uh, to our members that come from affiliates five dollars and charge at-large members ten? This is not fair. This is not equitable. And I strongly recommend that we vote against this bylaw change. Madam President. Someone else was at the mic? Please Madam President. Please identify yourself. Hello? Oh, is that John? Yes, I'm sorry. Is. Yes, it is. <laughs> I guess Ma you Madam don't need to identify yourself. I'm sorry. In response, to the, right to, in response to the gentleman who spoke just now, I would suggest that chances are if you belong even to one affiliate, and that affiliate has a local chapter, you may already be paying 10 or more dollars a year for dues. And if the convention will but, allow but, but a point of personal privilege for me. Okay, um, can I respond since he... Yes, you can. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. That is true, and services are provided at the local chapter level and at the state and special interest affiliate level. And that's what you pay those dues for, not for national. Okay. This is strictly 
what we pay to the national organization, and it should be fair and equitable. All right. So I'm going to take a point of personal privilege, and if I need to hand the, the mic over to Ray, I will do that. And I want to speak as the person who suggested this amendment, because I completely am on the other side from Dan Spoon um, on this issue. I feel that this equalizes the membership in this organization, because right now, you can point to our members at large, ACB-only membership for $5, and people will say, oh, that's a lot less money than joining an affiliate. And so my attempt by saying let's, let's increase it to 10 is to make the dues for an ACB member at large more competitive with affiliate dues and hopefully turn those members into members of affiliates as well. Thank you for the opportunity to clarify. This is Rick Morin. I will recognize Rick Morin. I, in terms of the transition from at-large to um, affiliate membership, do the bylaws anticipate that, and, and would the person then re revert to a $5 thing? Or I mean, how does a person's status change from at-large to not at-large, and is that anticipated in the, by in the bylaws? So, John, you can help me if I get this wrong, but if they join as an ACB member at large, they're an ACB member at large. But our practice, and I would continue that we would work on this, is to make referrals, as we do, to state affiliates where someone resides when they join ACB as a member at large because they didn't know there was a local affiliate and to provide them with the list of special interest affiliates in case they have, um, you know, more fine-tuned interests that we're not aware of. So we'd use the geographic reference point and the special interest affiliates. Madam President, there is someone at a microphone near the front. Yes, it doesn't seem to be working very well. I think it's coming. It is coming. Okay. Is it maybe? I rise to speak there, in favor. It's almost on. I've got a green light on it. There. <laughs> Testing. Ooh. You're there now. Go ahead, okay, Michael. Thank you very much. I rise to speak in favor of the amendment and to address another aspect of this. ACB is indeed a democratic organization. And there have been rare but nonetheless existent times that members of ACB in certain states have developed a very significant disagreement with the actions that their state affiliate has taken. It doesn't seem fair to in any way discourage such an individual from joining ACB at large if they choose not to be associated for a given period of time with an affiliate. At the same time, it really doesn't make much sense in support of our affiliates to make it cheaper to join at large than it is for most affiliates. So I think in moving this to $10, which in fact is 
something that's going to affect very, very few people, what we are indeed doing is creating a situation with more choices as to ways to join ACB and the opportunity that while we can encourage people to join affiliates, we are not going to lose members nationally because of a disagreement that might occur between an individual member and that affiliate. Thank you. Thank you. Is there someone who wishes to speak in opposition? Madam Chair, I have a question. You have a question or you want to speak to the amendment? I, I have a question. Call okay, a go ahead, Rick. Thank you. Uh, Rick Conley, Nevada. Point of information, I will call that. Thank you. Uh -huh. If a person, uh, if the, this, by this you want people to join affiliates, and you want people presumably to join state affiliates, would the person who is a member at large satisfy your desire to have them join an affiliate if they join a special interest affiliate and not a state affiliate? Yes, absolutely. Special interest affiliate is an affiliate. Thank you. Uh-huh. All right. Hearing no further discussion, I am going to assume that we are prepared to take a vote. Uh, those in favor... Uh, please identify yourself. Sue Amateur. Okay, go ahead. Uh, do we know how many members at large we have? I Thank can, you. I can tell you it's under 100. I don't have the exact number right here. It is not very many people. All right, we're going to proceed to the vote. All those in favor of the amendment to the Constitution, to the bylaws, excuse me, go ahead, um, <laughs> go ahead and signify by saying aye. Aye. Those opposed? No. The, the amendment has been adopted. All right, thank you for letting us um, finalize one of our amendments today. And it's now my privilege to turn the podium over to um, one of my officers. Ray and I have a good time talking about the fact that we each broke the glass ceiling. I broke the glass ceiling becoming the first woman president of the American Council of the Blind. And <laughs> Thank you. And I'm happy to say that Ray broke the glass ceiling because he's the first man to be, pres to be secretary of the American Council of the Blind. So we share that. We <laughs> so, Ray, um, I turn the podium over to you. Thank you. Good morning, ACB. Um, and, by the way, that, that, that glass ceiling for me was a lot higher because I'm a little taller. So, so I, and uh, I bring you greetings from the home of the 2016 World Champion Chicago Cubs, Illinois. So I just love saying that. Can't you tell? <laughs> we have uh, a lot of business to get to this morning. Um, before, we, uh, before I turn it over to our first speaker, um, I just wanted to make one announcement. Uh, per the standing rules, just to let everybody know, uh, check your badge. If you do not have a, a dot on your badge, which would entitle you to an individual vote when we do elections later in the week, uh, and you think you should, you have until close of registration tomorrow, Wednesday, July 5th, to uh, take care of that. And so the way you check it is 
feel, reach inside your badge on the, in my case, it is on the top corner, on top left corner. Uh, so when I'm wearing the badge, the um, slot where the card goes in is to the left. If you stick your finger inside and up on the top corner, you should feel a dot there. If, if you're a member in good standing. If you're not and you, you don't feel a dot, you feel you should, orange dot, if you have, can see that. If you feel you should have a dot and you do not, go to the uh, registration prior to close of business tomorrow, which I believe is 2 o'clock, and get that taken care of. All right. Now, I am really happy and jazzed to be presiding today because today is Independence Day in the United States, as we talked about earlier. And all the programs, if you look at today's program, has to do with independence. We're talking about access to reading materials. That's independence. We're talking about access to the movies and television. That's independence. We're talking about being able to actually control our televisions. That's independence. So it really is appropriate that we're doing what we're doing today on Independence Day here in the U.S. So without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our first speaker of the morning. And when I saw this headline on the program, Murder, Medicine, Mayhem, Mismanners, and More, I thought, oh boy, this is, uh, this is someone who has been around the block a few times, and indeed she has. Our first speaker this morning has been for over 30 years a talking book narrator with the American Printing House for the Blind in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, she has done some other things, which she will talk about. Um, and I have to share before I turn the podium over that uh, this morning we were making some small talk up here, as we usually do, uh, when we're getting ready, getting to know speakers. And uh, I mentioned I work for United Airlines. She backed up a little bit. <laughs> she was a, a, a little scared about She thought I was going to throw her out the podium. But I wouldn't do that because we dearly love our talking book narrators. Ladies and gentlemen, give a big ACB welcome to Madeline Buzzard. Okay, well, I was about to say thank you, thank you, thank you for that wonderful introduction, Ray. All right, here, right about here? All right, but now I'm not sure I'm going to say thank you, thank you. You do recall it's Madeline Buzzard. I am very, very pleased to be here today. It's wonderful to be with all of you at the convention. I need to get closer. Okay. Let's see how this is. Better? Better? All righty. Um, I wondered how everyone was doing. I hope you're doing well. All right. You've been here a long time, won a lot of money, I'm sure. It is an honor, as I said, to be here, also to celebrate the 4th of July with you. Thank you very much for inviting me. You know, I've never been to Sparks, but I've heard a few lighthearted comments about its proximity to another warm place. I'm just letting those, those remarks go. But what I want to know is, is it Nevada or Nevada? Thank you. I will take that back to the printing house. Now, today we said it was going to be murder, mayhem, is manners, nah. Maybe just me and my life as an open book, full of strong language, a little violence, and no explicit descriptions of sex, Ray, none. First, before I begin telling you a little bit about me, I'd like to start with what goes into my recording process. 
Now, I always warm up my voice before I read, so today I'm going to do that with you, if you don't mind. And if you'd like to join in, I'd love it. First, we're going to do a couple of musical scales. Ready? La, 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 la. Very good. La, 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 la. Even better. Me, 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 me. No, 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 no. You see, it's about me. It's about me. Yeah, that's it. Us, 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 us. I like it. Now we're going to limber up our lips. Close your mouths and blow. Feel the tingle. It's great. Then stick your tongue out. Not at me. Not at me. Close your mouth and blow. See, that's really good for the tongue, too. You know that's a raspberry. And it always brings to mind, when I was in New York at acting school, um, I used to walk down Times Square, look at all the theaters, and there was a seemingly homeless man in New York. He'd stand in Times Square on Broadway. And that's what he'd do to show his appreciation for the women who walked by. They called him the Raspberry Man. It took me a year, but finally I walked by and I heard... I thought I'd made the big time. Yes, exactly. Then I loosen my jaw. I pretend to eat maybe 50, 60 pieces of gum. Now, in the early morning hours when I'm driving to work, I've noticed people looking, and they do think that I'm quite insane, which there is a possibility of that. Yeah, well, that's true, too, and that's another, that's another conversation altogether. Then I'll say, like, um, you remember this one, Betty bought a bit of bitter butter, but she said this butter's bitter. If I put it in my batter, it will make my batter bitter. Or red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Say that a lot. Or unique New York, unique New York, unique New York. After all that, I'll yawn. <gasps> Oh, that gets some air into my lungs, opens up my throat, and then, then I'm ready to read whatever book I've been assigned. Now, I always try to read through the book first to know what the author has in mind for his characters. The books come from NLS. They're reviewed by our studio head, Steve Mullins, and then they're matched with the appropriate narrator. The book I'm reading now is called A Book of American Martyrs by Joyce Carol Oates, and it begins with a male character's point of view. After about 100 pages of the 650 pages, the viewpoint changes to that of several females. Well, this threw me off when I began to read the book because if the voice of the narrative is male, then a male narrator should be used. But as there were changes in points of view, and the majority of them were female, I continued reading this book. I haven't finished it yet. It's coming out soon. And I don't know if I recommend it or not, but it's an interesting book. I don't have a choice in the books that I get. Steve gives me what he wants me to read or what he needs me to read, and I have never turned down a book. There was a narrator once who would not read any book with profanity or sex. And she read a lot back in her day. I don't know what she'd read today. 
I don't have any idea. Some of the books I get, I have to tell you, the pages are too hot to touch. And I'll give you an example. The Nama Trilogy by Jacqueline Carey. Yeah, Nama's Kiss, Curse, and Blessing. 71 hours of the most scorching scenes I have ever read. You want to talk about explicit descriptions of sex? It's no wonder I lost my voice after I finished reading that. Now, in my first two-hour session, I might read something like, oh, I don't know, the best American science writing with theses on thermodynamics, aerodynamics, geophysics, astrophysical cosmology, all with language I'm really not familiar with, and I'm not going to bore you with it right now. In the next session, I might read, ah, twas brilligan the slivy toves, did gyre and jimble in the wave. And then I might read The Lost Life of Ava Brown, with, ec with excerpts from Ava Brown's diary, original transcripts in German. I studied French. But with this book, I was lucky because my monitor studied German, and she was extremely proficient in it. She provided me with the pronunciations I needed for those exceedingly long and numerous diary passages. And then so many books contain language that I'm not familiar with. I don't think anybody is. The language of the undead from the Noble Dead Saga. Nami te yadakak. Krai ui, aishi ui. Here. Anybody know? No, I, I can't translate that for you either, but I can tell you it was really strong language. <laughs> now, once I had to read The Oxford Companion to the English Language. Mmm, scintillating. I'm pretty familiar with the English language, but my responsibility was for the entries beginning with a letter S through the letter Z. I sailed through Sanskrit. No, no, I didn't. And then I came upon the heading, synthetic. The notion of synthesis applies to the number of morphemes involved rather than the method by which they are combined. When many are combined, a language is known as polysynthetic. For example, Siberian Yupik. Anya galang tukyuk. I think that meant Anya wants a big boat. Siberian Yupik does not come up very often, and it is definitely not my second language. I grew up in Joyzy. You know, we have our own language there. Anybody here from Joyzy? I always say it's something in the water. It was in Ridgewood, New Jersey, where I grew up, in North Jersey, close to New York City. I graduated from high school, and I went, oh, well, I guess I got to tell you. I graduated from high school many, many, many moons ago. And I went to Bethany College. I went south to West Virginia. I studied there for a couple years. Ah, good. Pursued a degree in elementary education. I was really active on campus, and I also acted up a storm in the drama department. I caught the acting bug. Actually, it grabbed me and yelled in my ear, go back east, go to New York City and become a professional actress. Yes, that's what it said to me. And I listened to it. And I went back east, and I began another chapter in my life at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts on Toidy Toid and Toid. 
No, 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 it wasn't really on toit. I just like to say that, toity, toity, toity. I graduated from the academy and I found work. Off-Broadway and you're a good man, Charlie Brown. <laughs> now I started there as the costume mistress and understudy. Then I performed the role of Patty. And I worked there with a now very, 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 very famous Billy Crystal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you can touch me later, I know. <laughs> I was the costume mistress, and he was the theater manager. Neither one of us at the time were acting. Those were some days. I also appeared on television in the late great soap opera, Another World. Yes, let's hear it for Another World. I made a couple of movies in New York. One was a short film, I don't really remember much about it, except that I had to climb a ladder on the top of a building in Lower Manhattan. Very scantily clad, I'll tell you now. And then the next scene was me standing in the ocean doing Tai Chi in an evening dress. It was really a very, very artsy film. <laughs> and another of my cinematic adventures was entitled Sweet Savior which starred an on-the-skids-off-the-skids Troy Donahue. Mm-hmm. He was once every young woman's heartthrob. Now, this movie was really, really gruesome. It was about a Manson-esque cult. And I'll tell you right now also that this movie made the list of worst films of the decade. Mm -hmm. Quite an honor. Then I moved to Louisville, Kentucky, where I was promptly told it is Louisville. Don't move your mouth at all. Louisville. Louisville. It's just right back there. Louisville. And I always have found that to be peculiar because as far as I knew, the city was named after the king, King Louis. And I've never heard of a King Lua. I did finish college there. I got my BA in education from the University of Louisville. And I was offered a job teaching. I was also offered an acting job on the Beef and Boards Dinner Theater circuit. Corporal punishment or acting? It was a decision I had to make. Corporal punishment was practiced in the Jefferson County School District at that time. I opted for the acting job and I went on the road. I performed in dinner theaters all around the country, in regional theaters, children's theaters. I remember once I was with Stage One. It's a terrific children's theater in Louisville. We were performing several Shakespearean vignettes, which we would then take to different classes in different schools. As a sort of a taste of what they could look forward to, we presented the scenes to a group of high school teachers. During my scene from The Taming of the Shrew, I, as Kate, was haranguing my husband, Petruchio, and I was flailing my arms about, and I was running all around the stage, screaming and yelling, and my skirt fell off. <laughs> I have a lot of safety pins with me today. I've done a lot of commercials, radio, TV, local, regional on and off camera, narrated industrial films. I've taught acting to children and speech to college kids. I've even taught a few episodes of fourth grade classroom TV. And for 35 years, I taught aerobics, dance aerobics, high and low impact aerobics. My last class was an energizer class. That's what we called ourselves. 
And we had been together. I, I started as the senior aerobic, or I was teaching them as seniors. <laughs> yeah. And um, I was probably with them for 15, 20 years. And then all of a sudden, something happened. I became a senior. How did that happen? I don't know. And then last year, I did retire. I do go to Zumba classes now. I, I kind of miss teaching, so I thought maybe I could get recertified and teach Zumba to seniors. Now, in Louisville, I added to my creepy movie repertoire with a film called, well, at the time it was called Zebra Killers, and now I think it's called Savage Cops. It was billed as a black exploitation film, and I was a lady of the night. Yes. <laughs> what a career. I starred in another short film called Remember This. Now, this was a weird tale of a woman who quit smoking, which I had done. And I remember being a little concerned because in the film, I was required to chain smoke. And so many people I knew who had quit smoking started again when they picked up a cigarette. And I was going to be picking up a lot of cigarettes. But I survived as a non-smoker, still am, I'm very happy about that. Thank you. And anyway, the weird tale, a chain-smoking woman, her twisted psychiatrist, and a giant dancing cigarette. Yep, yep, that was really an artsy film too. <laughs> but the best film of all, Three on a Meat Hook. You've heard of that one? Not familiar with it? Good, I'm really glad. <laughs> and yes, I was one of the three. Yes, I was Becky. I was the best friend of the leading lady for a very short period of time. And this best friend of mine, well, she invites me to her boyfriend's creepy farm, where I did have several meaty scenes before. I was pickaxed and hung on a hook and served for dinner. I didn't tell you the film was about cannibalism, did I? Yep, illustrious career in films. I traveled a lot for acting, was on the road for months on end. Now, long distance relationships, they might sound exciting in books, but they aren't that easy in real life. And my first marriage did not survive my vagabond lifestyle. We had just moved to Philadelphia when the marriage fell apart. And instead of going further back east, I returned to Louisville, and I continued to audition. I performed a little bit more, but I really felt it was time to make changes. This feeling that I needed to change something coincided with a trip I was going to take to Cairo, Egypt. I had this opportunity to go to Cairo for a month. Now, I had no ties, so I took that trip. Now, this chapter in my life, well, it's made of some of that stuff in the romance novels I've read not the bodice rippers. There was a young Dutch sous chef. Then there were exotic sights and fragrances of the Khan El Khalili market. And then the intrigue of descending stairs into a dimly lit antiquities shop to sip sugary mint tea in little glass cups and illicitly exchange foreign currency with robe-clad bearded strangers. 
and I am amazed that I am here today. But I also did go horseback riding on the Sahara Desert with the pyramids of Giza behind me, and that was pretty exciting. Inevitably, I was confronted with a question of staying in the land of Tutankhamun or going home. And I returned to Louisville. And I'm really glad that I did. First of all, I knew I had to put roots down. I didn't want to go out on the road anymore. And second of all, I knew I had to find work. I had heard of the talking book program at APH, so I went in, I auditioned, and I got the job. And it's a great, great job. But best of all, I met the real man of my dreams. I got married again, and we have had 29 very happy years together. Thank you very much. And we were married right around the corner on the shores of Lake Tahoe. Yep, yep, it was magnificent. I added to my life three absolutely amazing, beautiful, wonderful stepdaughters, which makes me the, of course, amazing, evil stepmother. <laughs> three sons-in-law followed, and now there are seven incredible grandchildren. And I want to tell you, that includes the brand-new grandbaby. She was born just one week ago. Her name is Sailor Grace, and she was 6 pounds, 12 ounces. Thank you. This year has also been a year of graduations for grandchildren from college and high school and marriage proposals for grandchildren. So maybe in a year or two there might be great-grandchildren. We'll see. We'll see. They all call me Maddie. And the other day, one of my granddaughters texted me to thank me for checking up on her. And I said, well, that's what Maddies do. I'm really lucky. I have my Louisville family, and I also have my Joycey family, my sister, my nieces, my nephews. And, well, it's nice to have them. I go see them once in a while. After spending time on the Nile River, I wanted to tell you that we moved on to the Ohio River. Now, living with a river as a neighbor is really amazing. It's busy, it's noisy with barge and boat traffic. Now, the barges I watch going up and down the Ohio don't carry hmm, Cleopatra, but they are exciting. I watched in all once as an entire factory went down the river, followed by a house, followed by a hot tub. Now, there are times when our neighbor, Old Man River, doesn't just want a cup of sugar. He wants to move in with us. Our first flood occurred four months after we moved into our house. It was during the year I won the Scorby Award, and what an honor that was. Yeah, thank you very, very much. That was such a surprise. When I received the news, there were seven feet of water in the lower portion of our house. We didn't move out. To get to work, we boated in and out to our cars. Now, we don't always boat out. When the water hasn't come into the house yet, we can walk out through the water to our cars. The last time that happened was maybe about two years ago. When I got ready for work, I put on my chest-high waders, strapped my book bag to my back, grabbed a flashlight, and set off. It was very early, very dark, and it was eerily quiet. And it was very slow going, as all five feet two inches of me was wading through at times two feet of water. Alone, I thought, until I heard 
smack. And then again, smack. Well, my heart rate sped up as I considered all the possibilities. What creature was smacking its way toward me? Is it hungry, and is it going to take a large bite out of my rubber-clad leg? There were times when the water was up and down and up and down as I'm walking, so I stopped on a small rise, and I called my husband, who was sleeping peacefully in our nice warm bed, and I told him I thought I was being stalked by a wild and vicious animal, which at this point I had seen. It was a beaver. Yep. It was an angry beaver because the water had obviously jarred him out of his home. And my darling husband says to me, what do you want me to do? And I said, rescue me? And he said, from what? A beaver? And I said, yes, that would be lovely. And he laughed. And he said, oh, he's probably just looking for some place to put his money. What? You know, in a riverbank. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, there were smaller, these were smaller floods. We had a big one. We had a great big one in 97, and that flood drove us away because the water came into both the lower portion of our house and then the upper portion of our house. But we miraculously managed to get all our belongings out before the water came up into our living space in multiple trips on a pontoon boat. But the only item that we had to leave behind, and it was sad, was our piano. Now, when the water went down, we took the opportunity to raise our house onto a higher foundation. We rebuilt and we moved back. Ten years later, we had a fire. No one was hurt, and that was a good thing. It took us a year to rebuild after that, but we did it. And we're still there on the river in a taller house made of fireproof bricks. But you know, I've always wondered, with this history of floods and fire, do you think pestilence will be next? I think I read too much. I've read about 1,500 books. I can't say I remember them all, but I do remember my first. It was Moonstruck Madness, RC 18808. It was also my introduction to the aforementioned bodice ripper. Now, you know we narrators recognize these bodice rippers immediately because on the book cover, the hero is absolutely gorgeous. And then the heroine is always even more beautiful, and she's wearing some beautiful gown, and the bodice of said gown is always torn to pieces. Moonstruck Madness, my first. And this wonderful first book was sent to Washington, and it was rejected. Yep, NLS sent it back. I had to reread it. It was accepted the second time around, and I think that was good because I learned a lot about timing and reading and research and perseverance from that rejection. So I always want to thank NLS for sending it back and, of course, giving me a second chance. And speaking of thanks, I want to thank my monitors. 
Now they watch for misreads and for mispronunciations while I'm reading, because we narrators are notorious for misreads. Like somebody once said, the wanton woman. Yep, yep, they did. Wanton woman, of course. I always seem to go back to that, don't I? <laughs> and then somebody else said, a mausoleum. Mausoleum? Mm -hmm. But the best to me was a narrator who started a book called Malcolm the Tenth. His monitor stopped him and said, sir, that's Malcolm X. Yeah, yeah. No one said we narrators were real smart, you know. And I once read, Red Skeleton didn't go to his senior prom because he had no body to go with. <laughs> Maybe you already know he was afraid to cross a road. No guts. Bad, isn't it? It's really bad. Monitors keep me honest to provide me with correct pronunciations of words that are often difficult to find. And I also thank the proofreaders for doing their part to catch nasty noises and mistakes we might have missed while recording. Recently, I was recording The Forgotten Girls, and I had read, Stevens watched Carrie Finley walk in through the hospital doors holding a tray full of coffee and a couple of donuts. Seems harmless enough. But we received a correction from the proofreader. The passage actually read, Stevens watched Carrie Finley walk in through the hospital doors, holding a tray full of coffee and a couple of printouts. I'm really glad she caught that. Another rejection coming my way. And I always want to thank the patrons of Talking Books, all of you, whose letters, phone calls, emails, and notes have helped me because I think I hope I've become a better reader. And also, they've made me very aware of the audience something which is missed when recording in a studio and not performing on a stage. So this morning, I'd like to leave you with these thoughts contained in a letter I received from a talking book patron, Jerry. Life is filled with daily chores, family responsibilities, national and international realities, and difficult moments, as well as happy times, good friends, fun activities, and personal joys. Each one of us must deal with all life brings to us. One of these personal joys for me is books. Reading provides great entertainment, educational information, laughter, occasional tears, and just plain fun. Your narration has added to those facets of reading. You bring great pleasure and enhancement to reading and listening. Thank you for making my reading life better and more joyous. And thank you to Jerry for her kind letter, and to all of you here who read and listen. I can only hope that I bring as much to your lives as you have brought and continue to bring to mine. Thank you, ACB, for having me here today. And happy 4th of July! Uh, Madeline, thank you so much. Um, listen, <laughs> woo!
All right. Wonderful ovation. Um, okay. Okay. All right, folks, we've got time for maybe two questions. However, Madeline will be at the Lua program this afternoon at 1.30 in Southern Pacific B and C. So that, then you can get up close and personal with her, and she's really nice to get up close and personal with. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's telling me to watch it over here. <laughs> Remember, I work for United. Um, we got time for two questions. So, yeah, <laughs> the first two people to get to the microphone identify themselves. You'll get a chance to ask a question. Do we have anybody? David Trot. Oh, David, go ahead, sir. Marilyn, we love you in Alabama, and we'd like for you to come back in September. Oh, you're the best. It'll be wonderful. <laughs> anybody else? Anyone else? Okay, Madeline, thank you so much. Thank you. Great uh, presentation. And yes, and uh, we love you. Um, <laughs> as we were uh, getting ready for our next presentation, I um, wanted, <laughs> we're kind of on the airline theme a little bit this morning, so I wanted to share a story. Now, you all know that, uh, you know, we, many, most of us had to fly to get here, so... Uh, uh, made me think of a little story. <clears throat> there was a gentleman I uh, heard about a couple months ago. He checked into the airport to fly, and he said, well, I've got uh, three bags, and I want to check one to Houston, one to San Francisco, and one to Chicago. And the person behind the counter says, well, we can't do that, sir. He says, why not? That's what you did last time I flew. <laughs> credit to my dear father, who I bet is not listening this morning, but um, credit to my dear dad for that one. We're going to move on to our next uh, uh, presentation, and it's a very important one because it's one of our Ruby sponsor presentations. Anybody ever heard of a little, little small little company based out of Seattle called Amazon? <laughs> Alexa, <laughs> order me some. Uh, or Alexa, give me a beer. No, I can't. <laughs> I, I've tried that, and she won't do it. Um, <laughs> with us this morning to talk about Fire TVs and more accessibility in the entertainment space for Amazon. Gives me great pleasure to bring to the microphone a gentleman I've gotten to know a little bit over the last couple of days, a accessibility architect from Amazon out of Sunnyvale, California, Mr. Peter Korn. Mr. Sec, am I live? Mr. Secretary, Madam President, and the rest, still not live. Check, check one, two, one, two, three. No, all right. Okay, let's try this. Mr. Secretary, Madam President, and the rest of the ACB board, Executive Director and staff of the National Office, Marjorie Beeman, and the organizers and staff of the ACB Convention, and all of you, thank you so much for having me here this morning. It's wonderful to follow uh, Ms. Bazard as we continue the theme of entertainment. This is going to be a bit of a demo palooza this morning. 
That's why I'm staying over here with uh, the toys on stage right. Um, we're going to be uh, working together here on the high wire without Annette, and I hope I have made the appropriate um, uh, donations to the demo gods. But before I talk about the entertainment space and what we are doing uh, there, I'd like to say a few things about Amazon and accessibility in general. Amazon strives to be the Earth's most customer-centric company. And we believe that customers with disabilities are customers. Customers we want to serve. And to serve those customers, we need to make our products not only accessible, but delightful to use. When you think about uh, some of the things, when you think about uh, some of the things that folks with disabilities deal with in everyday life, if you're in a wheelchair, half of store shelves are out of reach. If your vision is poor, you may not be able to tell the text what aisle you're on. If you're blind, every can looks the same. If your vision is poor, well, there's large print books, but that's often not large enough. And that assumes you have hands to turn the pages in the first place. Speaking of hands, uh, you may not have hands to turn the volume knob on your radio or the switches on the lights in your home. If we do our job right, we have the potential to touch the lives of over a billion potential customers worldwide. And that's the motivation for our work, to serve our customers. So I'd like to uh, show a brief video um, from some of our customers talking about how they use Amazon. Words appear. How do you use Amazon? Feedback from customers with disabilities. Dina Wainwright, Enterprise Online Accessibility Program Manager, Wells Fargo. My daughter has a Kindle, um, Fire, and I have the Amazon app. Um, I use the website, and I use the Kindle app. Um, mostly it's content, and it's um, you know, online shopping. I was so pleasantly surprised when I got the Kindle. I did not expect to be able to set it up by myself for my daughter. Luke Shea, Assistive Technology Advocate, Community Access Center. Right now I have the latest Kindle Fire. The, the Kindle Fire HD with the keyboard. Well, I use that for books for demonstrations, watch movies. I'm a prime member. I have Amazon credit card. I have Amazon Echo. I have uh, Amazon Echo Dot. Louis Herrera, Outreach Specialist, SoCal Gas Company. To me, as a totally blind user, you can't beat the screen reader. The uh, um, voice view software is just wonderful. The, the uh, voice quality is great. Hina Altaf, Assistive Technology Slash Accessibility Specialist, 
Center for Sight and Hearing. I am on Amazon 24-7. Even my son, who is only four, he says, Mom, I said, so son, guess what I'm doing right now? Amazon! <laughs> I use my um, uh, iPhone to do shopping as well, and I use desktop, laptop. I use it to listen to audiobooks through Kindle. I also use um, it to look for recipes, ask questions, temperatures, calendar, schedule appointments, and um, check for weather. Imran Achman, JAWS scriptwriter and instructor. Expecting accessibility from Amazon, that's been amazing. And I'll give you an example. Um, you know, the I've been interested in Fire Stick, but I wasn't sure how good the screen reader is on the Fire Stick yet. And um, I, I said, well, it doesn't, it's not too expensive. It's not a big investment. I will buy it, see what happens. And with low expectations, and going in with low expectations, it, it astonished me, like, how well it's doing, like, out, you know, out of the box. And then in the, in the course of a month or, like, you know, four to six weeks, it improved, it improved even more to a point where one app wasn't working very well with the screen reader, and then it started working extremely well. Michael May, CEO, Seattle Lighthouse for the Blind. The two big problems for blind people are reading and driving, or driving, getting around. And the importance of being able to shop online for me, for a blind person, is huge because it means that the transportation issue is the biggest problem for blind people. All of a sudden, I don't have to go somewhere to get my products. And then when I get to the store, how do I pick between all of the different peanut butter brands on the aisle? How do I pick between all the different products? Or maybe I just want to window shop. I just want to browse and see what's around. Window shopping is not an option for blind people generally. Audible books was really key for me because the, the loner talking books didn't really have current uh, a title. So the, the fact that I could get good Audible books uh, was great. And then that came into the mainstream. And once that was in the mainstream, then more and more books were in audio. And that just spiraled into a whole new you know, option of uh, accessible materials for me. Judy Dixon, Consumer Relations Officer, Library of Congress. We have a Amazon Echo in our house. She's called, you know, she, she will not be named. We have a tap and we have three dots. I like to cook and I do a lot of cooking. So when I'm in the kitchen cooking, Alexa in our house is a, is a kitchen appliance. And she lives on the back of our kitchen table. So while I'm cooking, if I run out of an item, I can ask her to put it on the shopping list. Um, while I'm cooking, I can, you know, say, play me some village Joel. And then while we're having dinner, we play Jeopardy. And uh, so it, she, she performs many, many functions. And then we have two grandchildren, and when they come, they, I mean, it's it just, she's the total entertainment for hours. <laughs> Feedback from, from customers has been really fantastic uh, for us to receive at Amazon, and it motivates us to continue to do more and more every year. And I'm here to talk about some of the most recent things that we have been developing, and that's accessibility in the entertainment space. We've been doing three key things. 
we've been working to make the Amazon video application as accessible as possible on as many video playback services as we can. This includes the Fire tablets, Fire TV, iOS, Android, and a large number of what we call living room devices. Things like the Xbox One or the PlayStation 4. Certain Roku streaming devices as well as many smart TVs and Blu-ray players, including those from Hisense, LG, Samsung, and Sony. I'll be demonstrating a couple of those in a little bit as part of the demo palooza. We're also working to make the devices we manufacture specifically for video playback as accessible as we can. Our Fire tablets, our Fire TV, the brand new line of Fire TV edition smart TVs that just came onto the market a few weeks ago. And we're doing all of that through our now award-winning VoiceView screen reader, which we developed from scratch and introduced a year ago, September. And which, on tablets, just this past week, now support Braille. But finally, we've been working to make our own video content from Amazon Studios. And the video content that we get from mainstream studios like Disney, Lionsgate, NBC, Paramount, Warner Brothers, to make sure that all of those, as many as possible, include high-quality audio description. So I'd like to now move to the demo palooza portion of this talk. I have in my hand the remote control for the 55-inch Fire TV Edition Smart TV from Westinghouse that is here on my right. This Smart TV costs $649.99. But it comes in three other sizes. The 43-inch model is $449.99. The 50-inch model, $549.99. And the 65-inch massive screen, $849.99. And this interface is essentially a smart, is, is essentially the Fire TV interface. I'm going to press the home button on the remote. Home, two of seven. And this is the right to move between items. Voice view screen reader on Fire TV. I'm going to bring the volume up just a little bit here. And I can arrow through the interface. There is a five-way controller on this remote. Left, right, up, down, and select. I'm going to press right. Your videos, three of seven. Right. Movies, four of seven. Right. TV shows, five of seven. Right. Apps, six of seven. And again. Settings, seven of seven. Let's go back to home here. Seven items, home, two of seven. I'm now going to press down arrow. Independence Day Resurgence, one, recent media player button. Your apps and games, Netflix. 
on now. New. Live with Kelly and Ryan. ABC. Top rated TV. Oasis. And on and on and on. And these are what we call carousels. A row filled with items you can select. Prime top rated TV. Featured apps and games. CBS full episodes and live TV. Button. And so on and so on. Now, there's an interesting thing about what we've done with this interface. And part of what we've done is required us to extend the accessibility API. The Fire TV is running Fire OS. Fire OS is the operating system of Fire TV and Fire tablets, Fire devices in general. The recently uh, announced and now shipping Echo Show is a Fire OS device, so it also comes with voice view. And we've extended the accessibility API of Fire OS, which is derived from Android, to add a few new things. The first thing we added was hint text. So if I go to an item. Recommends, Sense8, S1 colon E1, Limbic Resonance button. After a pause. Continue watching for Peter, rated TVMA, Sense8. S1 colon E1, limbic resonance. It starts reading additional information to me. The first thing it will do, if I've not interacted with buttons before, is it will tell me move left and right to move to other items, press select to choose to make it easy for beginners to learn how to navigate the interface. It will also read to me what we call orientation text. The first time I interact with a new screen, it will orient me to what this screen is about. And I can get that at any time by pressing the voice view button on the remote, which is the menu key. I'm going to do that now. Use up and down to move between categories such as new releases or comedy. Use left and right to move between items in the category, content grid. Moving focus to an item will automatically speak details such as the description and rating after a brief pause. While speaking, you can skip through info using the fast forward or rewind buttons and stop speech with the play pause button. Continue watching for Peter, rated TVMA. And then finally it will start reading the entire screen to me. So in this fashion, wherever you are, you can get help and get orientation text, get reading hence, and then have the entire screen read to you. I'm going to go back up now to um, one of the movie sections. On your apps and get recent media player button, the Bosch Ultra HD Prime button. So this is one of the recently Chapter watched one, films. Chapter 1, Tis the Season, 4.5 out of 5 stars from 103,394 customers. IMDb rating 8.3 out of 10. 47 minutes, 2015, rated TVMA, closed captioning available, season 1, episode 1, based on Michael Connelly's best-selling novels, Harry Bosch, Titus Welliver, an LAPD homicide detective, stands trial for the fatal shooting of a serial murder suspect, a cold case involving the remaining... Shut up. <laughs> you know, I've been making screen readers and assistive technologies for a little over a quarter century. And I've discovered some very critical truths. The first thing you do as a screen reader developer is you try to make the system talk. The second thing you do is you get it to shut up. 
But there's a third very critical thing. And that is you want to give the user of your screen reader, the customer, full power and control of the interface so that they decide where they want to go. When we went to this title, Bosch, on the screen there's this carousel and focus is moving to the items in the carousel. But the carousel item, Bosch, is just this little visual tile, a picture, sort of, a, if this were a bodice ripper, it would be a more attractive gentleman than the actor in this particular case pictured here. Um, but all of that other text that you heard read to you, that's essentially a description for that tile, which is somewhere else on the screen, not what has been selected, not what has focus. This is a very common user interface paradigm for entertainment information. You see this in Netflix, you see this on Apple TV. And there's all that information, paragraphs of information. What if all I wanted to do was find out the maturity rating of this show before I start watching it with my seven-year-old? I have to wait and wade through those paragraphs of information, and if I missed it, I've got to go back and ask for it again and try to listen for it. Well, we thought that's not delighting customers. So I'm going to go back and listen to it again, but I'm going to use the fast forward and rewind buttons on my remote to skip through those paragraphs of information to get to what I want to get to. Now, Bosch Ultra HD Prime button. Chapter 1, 4.5 IMDb rate 47 minutes, 2015, rated TVMA, closed captioning available, season 1, closed caption rated TVMA, closed captioning. Shut up. So now I am in control and I can rapidly get to what I want to get to. Now, you know, there's another thing that is interesting and that is who are the actors who are in this show? So rather than limiting me to the basic navigation scheme of this UI, a long press of the voice view key, the menu key, gets me into... Review mode on. And now, like a mature desktop screen reader, I have complete review control of this interface. Long press of left. Home, two of seven. Takes me to the top. And now I'm just going to right arrow through this. Independence Day Resurgence, one of six. Chapter one, tis the season. 4.5 out of five stars from 103. Recent, one of chapter one, tis the season. 4.5. Shut up. That's a lot of information. Somewhere in there is the actor's name. So let's change the granularity of my movement. Window. I'm pressing the down button now on the five-way remote. Character. Word. And let's navigate through these paragraphs by word. Chapter 1. Tis the season. 4 out of IMDb. Rate 8 out. 
of 10 for minutes. 2015, rate TV, cap available. Season 1, Episode 1, based on Michael Connolly's. How do you spell Michael Connolly's name, do you think? Let's find out. Michael, character M, Mike, I, India, C, Charlie, H, Hotel, and so on. So this is the core voice view screen reader interface on all Fire TV devices, including the Fire TV Edition Smart TV. Oh, yes. I said this was a TV. What do we typically do with TVs? And, you know, this is a Fire TV, and that means we have who on it? Alexa. So, I'm going to turn review mode off. Review mode off. Recent. Bosch. Ultra HD. Prime. Shut up. And I'm going to um, do a long press on the home button to bring up the TV menu. Channel guide. One of six. Button. Let's see what's on TV. Use up and down to move between items. That's the hint text. Tuesday, July 4th, The View, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pause, and then the EPG description. menu. Use up and down to move between channels. Use left and right to move between programs inside a channel. Station name ABC. Tuesday, July 4th, Musician Chance the Rapper, Actor Ben Platt, The View, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Rated TV 14. Closed captioning available. Up next, Colo 8. Hush. I'm going to down arrow to see what other channels and what other things are on at this time in the program grid. Sneaky Pete, an Amazon original. That's Two an of ad. 18. The Joey Bishop Show, 10.30 a.m. to 11 a.m. The, jo- the Price is Right, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. I'm going to select now. 17 items. Nine. Player Chrome. Use down button to bring up on now row. 95, Barbara. 500! $500! The scene. 1100! Pause. CBS. The price is right. But you know, we have Alexa, so rather than having to navigate through this program grid, if I just want to tune to ABC, on the top of this remote is a microphone button, and I simply say to Alexa, Tune to ABC. Tuning to ABC. ABC. Party star. The view. The things that I consume on a daily basis, a lot of it is very acidic. The enamel on my teeth was actually weakening. The- home, two of seven. I just went to home because this really isn't Use left and right a to TV move viewing items. party. Now, what else do you do with TVs? Well... You plug other things into the inputs. This TV has four HDMI inputs. So if I wake up some of my devices here, I will be able to do things like ask Alexa to switch input to Xbox. Okay. Inputs. Nope. And now the Xbox is still waking up. 
while we wait for that to wake up, let's see if my other device is woken up yet. Switch input to PlayStation. Okay, input, no. And this PlayStation This demo palooza is uh, going a little bit far here. This PlayStation has gone quiet on me. PlayStation has voice guide built into it. It looks like I need to turn that on. We'll skip that for now. Let's go back to the Xbox. Switch input to Xbox. Okay, inputs. And now on this Xbox, I've lost audio. You'll have to take it from me <laughs> that um, both PlayStation and Xbox have speech within them. And uh, thank you, Microsoft. Thank you, Sony. And the Amazon Video Player on Xbox, on Sony PlayStation, talks. So if you have one of those devices, because fundamentally, we want you to be able to use and enjoy our content wherever you are on whatever device you have. And speaking of enjoying our content, let's take a look at some of that content, shall we? Man in the High Castle. Error. There was an error that prevented this from loading. Input. No. All right. I think on Independence Day, a movie about the Nazis winning the war is the wrong thing to try to show. Let's try another title. Transparent. Transparent. Three atoms, movies and TV, movies and TV, button, transparent, prime, button. This is one of the Amazon original shows from Amazon Studios. And let's check this out. Transparent, resume 17 minutes remaining. One of, watch from beginning, two of five. I may have some good news for you. Critics everywhere are falling in love with Cafe Society. Pause. Pause. I'm going to bring up menu, the actual menu, which means I need to press menu twice, once for voice view and then once to send the menu command on through. Menu. Next episode. I'm going to go up to subtitles and audio languages. Watch from beginning, subtitle, audio language, English, drop-down list. I'm going to select the drop-down list. Audio language, English, one of two, checkbox, checked. 
And go to the second audio language. Audio language, English, audio description, two of two, checkbox, not checked. And select that. Transparent season two, episode 10, gray, green, brown, and copper, audio language, loading. And resume the movie. Angelica Houston, Vicky, In a motel one of room. two, two items. You know, when I first discovered the love, I just knew it was something, you know? Mm. Even though the doctor told me I had fibrous breasts. Yeah, a double mastectomy later. I'd learned how to trust my gut. It's terrifying. Yeah, it was really hard, you know. I was sick as a dog. But enough about me. They lopped off my tip. Pause. I see. Enough of that. I see we're, we're running out of time, so I'm not going to be able to conclude all of my demos, and I suspect there's probably a question or two out there. So let me just conclude by saying audio descriptions are also working on Fire Tablet, on iOS. Once you select the audio language of English with audio descriptions, you should continue to get that on any title that has it. The main Amazon accessibility website, www.amazon.com accessibility, contains all of the information about all of the accessibility features of all of our products and services. There's a link from that page to the audio description title list, which you can also find directly at amazon.com video slash audio description, as well as on the ACB audio description project pages. We have over a hundred movies from Disney, Sony, Paramount, Warner Brothers that are described, as well as 10 Amazon Studio original series like Transparent, Bosch, Man in the High Castle, and so on. So, Mr. Secretary, I yield the floor to you and any questions that may be... Uh, actually, we're probably not going to have time for questions right now, but Peter, how long are you going to be around? I will be here through this afternoon. You can find me again at the Audio Description Project panel discussion this afternoon at, I believe, 2.15 p.m.? 2.45 p.m. Okay. Well, great. Um, so um, thank you, Peter, and thank you for your generous sponsorship from Amazon. We appreciate it. Um, what, what day is it? Prime day, Prime day is coming up, folks, next uh, July 11th. I'm a in case you want to buy something, I sh I'm a Prime member. I should know that. <laughs> Anyways, um, one, okay. One, one last thing, if I may. Sure. Absolutely. May, oh, hey, you gave us money. Absolutely. Well, I... I understand there's a, there's a tradition of door prizes, and we have one with me today. So if we could, um, if I could beg us to allow for one door prize Let, before yeah, we break. Well, absolutely. <laughs> as long as my name gets drawn. As long as my name gets drawn. So no, what I'm I, kidding. What I have with me here is a Fire TV stick with Alexa voice remote. All right. Could our door prize people draw a name for that, please? This is a little unusual, but hey, we will do it, absolutely. Okay, we have Paul 
Edwards, are you? Oh, you lucky guy. <laughs> I bet he's here. All right. Peter, <laughs> he's not smoking. Peter, thank you again. He's, he's very happy, yes. Thank you again. Screen it's off. Great. Oh, okay. Here's what we're going to do. Um, before everybody runs to a microphone, what we're going to, I'm going to take three announcements. Janet Dickelman, please get to a microphone for convention announcements. Dan Spoon, please get to a microphone for RDC. And Tom Jones asked me if he could make an announcement. I'd like you to get to a microphone as well. Those Palmer are the only announcements we're going to take before break. Then we're going to take a break, and after break, we will draw two door prizes, so you want to be back. So with that, I turn it over to Janet Dickelman I for am convention. Here. Go ahead. All right. Good morning, everybody. Having a good time? Morning. I don't know why my name didn't get drawn for that fire stick. Anyway, reminder that the showcase starts this evening, Performing Arts Showcase at 7.30. The cafe will be open until 8 o'clock, so grab a bite before the showcase. Go settle in, enjoy, and uh, get something from the cash bar. Um, Tours I had their dinner today. last night. It was really good. Yes, their dinner is delicious. And I think tonight they're having the chicken that they had, and that was wonderful and very reasonable. Uh, the festival tour today at 1 o'clock. If you have tickets for the 1 o'clock festival, that, due to unforeseen circumstances, fi just finding out that actually all of the activities aren't getting started until a little later in the afternoon. So that 1 o'clock tour is being canceled. However... If you have a ticket for the 1 o'clock tour, you can show up for the 4 o'clock or 7 o'clock tour, and we will accommodate you. Or you can go to registration tomorrow, not today, but tomorrow, and get a refund. And the meeting for that tour is, outside, is at the normal bus meeting pickup. Even though we're not taking a bus, you can just stand inside that door if you want um, off, the sec off the first floor west side elevator bay. Uh, room changes for today. All CCLVI activities are in poolside. Uh, bingo at 7.15 is in Pavilion A. And um, IRAC Technology is in um, Bonanza C. Um, lost and Found, we have a gray jacket. We have a gray sweater also possibly still there. We have a backpack for James Reeves, and we still have glasses, two pairs of glasses at the information desk. We are taking names for banquet tables at the information desk. I'm getting some clarification at the hotel. The information desk will have the information after 11, whether the tables are going to be of 8 or of 10. So um, make your reservations with your friends at the information desk, or make some new friends and join any open table at the banquet. Thank you very much. Thank and you. Patty. Thanks, Janet. Dan Spoon. And Patty was here also. Patty with Patty. Okay, Patty. Patty I'm sorry. I almost forgot you, Patty. <laughs> the lady that's going to make me cookie balls. I better not forget her. Uh, Patty and then Dan. Go ahead. Um, I just want to let you all know that we have headphones. It's all about the bass and the treble. So come get your headphones in the mini mall. We also have more of those polo shirts. And we also have um, calendars that are large print. Just for those who are low vision, come, come get your stuff at the mini mall. 
Yes, and now Dan Spoon. All right. Thank you, Ray. Uh, first, I want to thank everybody for participating in the wonderful auction last night. Thank you Woo! all so much. Everybody had a great time, and I think we got out of there in a record time in the evening, and so everybody got to get a little bit of sleep. So hope everybody had a lot of fun, and uh, special thanks to Kim Bear and her team for just yeah. an outstanding job. Next, I'd like to recognize George Holliday to talk about the Monthly Monetary Support Program, MMS. George? Yes, for those who would like to find out more information about MMS and how MMS can uh, work with your affiliate with fundraising, we are at boot table four in the, right next to the mini mall. And to announce the Monday's winner for the drawing was Marilyn Prahan from Wisconsin. Thank you. Ah. Congratulations, Marilyn. And just one more quick reminder, we're selling Braille Forum raffle tickets, so show your love for ACB and the Braille Forum and buy a raffle ticket. It's $50. You can win $5,000, $1,000, or $500, and you can have up to five participants. So please get them at either registration, the mini mall, or from an RDC representative. Thank you, Ray, and uh, have a great evening. All right. Rest of the day. And last but not least, Tom Jones before we go to break. Thank you, Ray. I just wanted to let folks know that uh, Rob Haverty, a gentleman from Adobe Systems, is going to be in the BitSuite room 1120. Commit that to memory, 1120 this afternoon between 1 and 4 p.m. To accept feedback from any of you about anything Adobe, in particular, he's interested in those of you who have the mobile app. They've made some updates, and they want to get feedback if it's working for you now. And That's sweet, 1120, is that correct? And it's going to be between 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock this afternoon. All right. Okay. It's, it's the East It's the East it's in Tower. the East Tower, yeah. Thank you, Tom. All right. Okay, we are on break. I, my watch says 1023. Let's bring you back in 12 minutes at 1035. And we're going to bring you back with two door prizes. So we're on break now till 1035. Thank you. Okay, everybody, we are on break. That means it's time for another sponsor interview, and this time we're going to hear Jeff Bishop interview VFO. So enjoy that, and we'll be back. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Bishop, and welcome to the 56th Annual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind. This year, VFO is again a sponsor of our convention, and I had an opportunity to sit down and speak with Jonathan Mosen to find out all about what's happening at VFO. So without further ado, please help me give a warm welcome to Jonathan Mosen. Welcome, Jonathan, to our convention. Hi, Jeff. Good to be back with you. Thank you, and thank you so much for your Ruby sponsorship this year. It's really appreciated. And we're always proud to support ACB, so thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, this has been quite a year for VFO, and there's lots of great things happening. Can you fill us in on what's going on? There is a lot happening. If I could start by talking about what's happening at the booth at convention, because there's a lot to say there. First of all, on the hardware side, we have 20% off all hardware during the ACB convention. The interesting thing is that that is 20% off some new pricing. So we have lowered the pricing permanently of the current line of Focus Braille displays. The regular price for a Focus 40 Blue has now dropped to 2495 
And I know that you're kind of, you know, a, a wrinkly veteran of this industry, Jeff, like me. And you'll <laughs> remember when when we used to pay well over five thousand dollars for a 40 cell Braille display. So it's wonderful to see the pricing continue to come down. Um, the 40 cell, the 14 cell, rather, that is even better. It's come down to nine hundred and ninety five. Now, that's regular pricing, so you can take another 20% off those prices for the duration of the convention. Now, we've also got a Pearl camera. This is a USB device that you plug in and use with OpenBook. It's very fast. And the really cool thing about using this with OpenBook is that you can take pictures of your documents instantly while you're still reading the pages you've already scanned. So, it's great for people who care about productivity, who want to read a book and um, scan while they read. Now, normally you would pay $795 for a pearl, and that's a little lower than usual as well now. But at, at the ACB convention this year, we've knocked the pearl all the way down to $295. Now, the L Braille is in town as well. You can see an L Braille 40 and you can buy the L Braille 14 as well as see it. 20% off that as well. So uh, the normal price for an L Braille dock is $17.95, and that means it's $1436, $1436 for the dock compatible with the 14 at the convention. And we'll talk a bit more about L Braille in a minute, I'm sure. The original Ruby, that is reduced from $545 all the way down to $295. Now, on the software side, it's madness, I tell you. We've got some really good deals there. So let me just quickly summarize those. If you have never bought a copy of JAWS before in your life, you'll be able to pick up a copy of JAWS Home Edition for $125 at the convention this year, which is just one heck of a deal. Um, you can upgrade from any prior version of JAWS for a hundred dollars. So if you've got those old JAWS 3.7 floppy disks sitting at home and that's for whatever reason the last version that you used, then that's fine. You know, if you can give us your serial number, we'll upgrade you to the new version for a hundred dollars. Now you can add a software maintenance agreement for your current JAWS home that's at a hundred dollars at the convention. Zoom text mag reader, our um screen magnification software, as well as Magic, you can get either of those for $100 for a new license. You can upgrade from any version of those uh, for $75, and you can add a software maintenance agreement for another $75. We've got this new product that I know you've heard about, Jeff, called ZoomText Fusion. This is where we combine JAWS, the world's best screen reading solution, with ZoomText, the world's best magnification solution, and you can get a new license for this powerhouse of a product at the convention this year for $175. You can upgrade from a prior version of Fusion for $125, and an SMA is $125. And finally, we've got OpenBook, our scanning and reading solution that will work so well with the Pearl for $125. Uh, there's uh, an upgrade offer for any previous open book version of $100. Now, what all this means is we've got this wonderful L Braille, which gives you a note-taking solution that runs Windows 10. No compromises, no mobile operating systems to have to worry about. This is real Windows 10 running the JAWS you're, you know and you're familiar with. You can have that 
uh, even if you have nothing at all at the moment, so if you don't own Jaws, you don't own a Focus 14 Blue, and you don't own an Albrail, you could even combine it with a Pearl camera and open book and get quite a bit of change out of $3,000 for that whole solution. That gives you a portable scanning, Windows 10, Braille device, cellular capable, absolutely amazing deal. So we're pretty excited about what we're offering at the conventions. Jonathan, I had an opportunity to look over the program for this year's convention, and I noticed that VFO is also going to be providing some training opportunities in their suite. Can you fill us in about this? Yes, that's right. There is training available because this is a chance for people to take the technology that they already have or perhaps become familiar with new technology like the L-Braille. People are curious about how this works in a Windows context. You know, how are you going to press all those function keys and control and alt on a Perkins-style keyboard? So we want to provide training on all of that introduce you to Zoom Text Fusion. So you will be able to get training. And if you stop by our booth, we'll be able to give you information about the specific suite that you should go to. I should also just say about the L-Braille, Jeff, that we've uh, got a really fair pricing plan for this exciting new product. So the, the L-Braille does consist at its heart of a Focus 14, this new L-Braille dock and JAWS. But you only need to buy what you don't have now. So if you already use a Focus 14, maybe with your mobile device, and you already have JAWS on your laptop or your desktop, you've got two of those three products. So all you need to do to turn it all into an L-Braille is buy the L-Braille dock for a little over $1,400 at the convention, and you're up and running. So there's no need to pay twice for stuff you already have. Now, what about the 40-cell version? Do you have an update on that? It will be there at the conventions, but we're not quite at a point where we can sell that. But you'll be able to see it. I know for a lot of people who are kind of serious, productive Braille users, uh, people just feel like they need that little extra room, that, that 40 cells for speed and productivity. So you'll be able to see it. I can't give you a cast iron shipping date for that yet, but you'll see it in action and we, we're hoping it's fairly imminent. How might people who are maybe not going to convention, reach out to VFO and find out more about L-Braille and other products? Well, there are lots of ways. Our website is freedomscientific.com still. So we're keeping the brands uh, current with um, w with the website. So you can go to freedomscientific.com and you can uh, follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. You can call us on 800-444-4443. And there are links to the other websites in the uh, VFO family as well, such as AI Squared and Optilec as well. Great. Well, Jonathan, I want to really thank you very much for your time today. And again, thank you for the Ruby sponsorship for the conference and convention this year. It's really appreciated. It's a pleasure. I hope the convention goes well. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff, for uh, interviewing Jonathan Mosin. And thank you, Jonathan, and thank you, VFO, for being a sponsor for the 2017 ACB Conference and Convention. I'm going to go ahead and bring up the house. We'll probably be getting underway here in a few minutes as uh, everybody's making their way back in the room from the break. And lots more great stuff to come your way on this morning's general session.
Yes, it is. It's because of the fireworks. Let me, I'll explain that. Uh, but it's because of the fireworks. Right, that's the reason. Ladies and gentlemen, we will start in one minute. Actually, two minutes. I misread my watch. Okay, door prize people, are you yes, ready? Yes, we're we are, here. Okay, let's do uh, two door prizes. Get people back into their seats. Okay, we're going to do ACB Maryland. Get up on the mic a little bit more. ACB Maryland for $25, and the winner is Joan Land. Are you in the room? Joan Land, is that what I heard? L-A-M, Joan Lamb. Lamb. From, from where? Does it say or? Maryland. Does not sound like she's here. Draw again. Dennis Amadon, are you in the room? Are you, are you back there, Dennis? All right. He's, he's not out uh, eating cheese. He's in the back of the room. He's from Wisconsin, so I can say that. Okay, he's there. Good. Karen Campbell. Draw, draw another one. De Dennis, Dennis is there. So Dennis is there. I was trying to okay. tell you. Okay, from ACB Wisconsin, $25 okay. is Karen Campbell. I bet she's back there. Honey, you're buying dinner tonight. Karen, are you back there? Thank you. Okay, I, I can hear her up here. She's back there. Okay, thank you, guys. Uh, we'll do some more later. All right. Let's, uh, let's come to order, folks. Let's come to um, Over the last 10 or 11 years, 11 years, I guess, 
since I've been on the ACB board, one of the um, individuals that for a lot of those years I've had a great pleasure to work with is the next gentleman you're going to hear. He's a terrific guy, doing some terrific work for ACB, even though he's a Iowa fan. Uh, and um, although I can't say too much, Illinois hasn't done much in football or basketball recently. It gives me great pleasure to bring his report to the convention to introduce the Executive Director of the American Council of the Blind, Mr. Eric Bridges. Wrangling dogs. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It is a it it is a pleasure. Uh, does this come off? That that's that's better. No, I'm not. Hello. Aloha. Okay. Like this, that better, that better. Okay, good. I I do know how to use a microphone. I swear. Uh, well, it is a pleasure to be able to to speak with you all again about what has taken place over the last year since we last were together uh, with regard to ACB nationally and what's been going on in the national office. Uh, there is a tremendous amount of work that's going on, that has been going on, and that will continue to go on uh, regarding our ability to be more efficient and effective in providing the services and advocacy uh, wants and needs that you all have. We have a small but very effective team in our Alexandria office and in our Minneapolis office. Yes, please. Please. The, the, the work that, that Tony Stevens, Kelly Gask, Sharon Levering, Nancy Becker, <clears throat> Lori Sarf, Dee Thian, and Lane Waters do is critical. It is absolutely critical. And they do multiple jobs. They are cross-trained. It is necessary because there's a lot expected of us by you. And that is, that is absolutely what you should be doing, is expecting a lot out of us. Uh, over the last year, we've taken a good hard look at how effective and efficient we are or have not been. And we've taken some steps to be able to improve our ability to do more with the capacity constraints that we have. So we undertook, and I believe that I talked a little bit about this last year, we, we took a deep dive into looking at our, our information technology infrastructure within both offices. We moved to Surface Pro 4s from a hardware perspective. Everybody's using one, with the exception of Kelly, because she's a special snowflake. <laughs> no, actually, Kelly, Kelly does a ton of design work. Uh, and does lots of work with brochures, 
with our annual report and other stuff, and a Mac is an absolute necessity. But even more than the hardware, we've transitioned to Office 365. And a lot of this is due directly to the, to the impact that we've been able to have on a little company called Microsoft. They have done a, a phenomenal job over the last 18 months in rapidly improving the accessibility of many of their applications. And it was to a point last summer where we felt uh, safe to go into the water <laughs> uh, and, and get Office 365. Office 365 has the newest, latest, and greatest updates of accessibility for various applications. And so that's what we're running. We are a, a national nonprofit, but a small, small uh, organization that is running enterprise hardware and software now, which is great. On top of that, we moved from a very old and out-of-date accounting system, and we are now using Dynamic GP which is, uh, uh, you know, a state-of-the-art contemporary enterprise system as well. So the folks in our Minneapolis office are able to do uh, much more uh, and do it much more quickly and efficiently. So it, it's beginning to make people's lives much simpler. The, the IT front for us is a big deal. Uh, we need to be using the most up-to-date products. We need to learn how to use that stuff so that we can then talk with you all about what we're doing. So that, that was really the first big thing. Last summer at this time, our website, acb.org, was not friendly for mobile view. So in other words, if you were using anything other than your desktop, uh, like a tablet or a phone, the mobile view of our website uh, was, frankly, pretty awful. We've uh, contracted with Louisville Web Group, who actually created the ACB Minimal website about three or four years ago. They took care of that. And along the way, we had further discussions, and the redesign of a new acb.org is coming. We've been uh, in development with acb.org, and we will be launching the new acb.org in November of this year. Pretty excited about that. The individual that's managing this project is our own Kelly Gask. And she's being assisted by uh, several folks, uh, Dan Spoon, Jeff Bishop, Larry Turnbull, uh, Ron Brooks, and uh, I poke my head in every now and again. But she's doing a tremendous job. ACB.org is a beast of a website. There's over 3,000 pages. There's a lot to go through. There's a lot that, that needs to be uh, updated. Uh, there needs to be uh, more functionality, user-friendly um, aspect. Uh, is being incorporated so that when you come to our site, you can easily find what it is you're looking for. What a concept. <laughs> um, there will be a lot more pictures. Uh, there will be the ability to sign up uh, and become a, uh, a member at large of ACB. 
the second generation, the second uh, update that will be coming in the next couple of years will provide folks with the ability to, to sign up through our site to become members of state affiliates as well and special interests. So that's a little ways out yet, but we, we, um, we wanted to tackle the first easy kind of hurdle of membership, which is the member at large. So pretty cool. Last fall, all of this stuff sort of ties in. So last fall, uh, and really it started in, in 2015 when I interviewed for the role that I'm in now. Um, in my interview, I talked with the board about the need for us to look to the future and really plan uh, around uh, different initiatives, around different topics, uh, because the, the strategic plan that we went through in 2012 was, uh, it was becoming necessary for us to, to take another hard look at the success and the things that didn't go so well from that plan, the things that we want to take with us, and the things we want to leave behind. So I urged the board to consider uh, conducting a strategic plan. Uh, the board was... Uh, very, very supportive, uh, and I'm really pleased that that uh, our president, Kim Charlson, was really uh, uh, a big-time champion of, of beginning this process. So it's nice to have the support of the leadership in going through this. We put together a plan, engaged with a consulting firm, and began the process. Now, along the way, a consulting firm most of the time does not do this pro bono, right? So we had to, I had to locate the, the funds to pay for uh, the consultants, uh, locate the funds to actually bring the board and some affiliate presidents and staff together for a two-day face-to-face exercise. How was I going to do this? Well, uh, you all remember J.P. Morgan Chase and the fellow program that, that they're helping to support. Well, for this year, they supported us by giving us a significant amount of money to throw at our strategic plan so that we were able to conduct it. In addition to that, to those funds, a very generous donor, you all know him, he, he has a, a scholarship endowed with ACB, Ross Pangier gave us funds to be able to fly everybody to Alexandria and spend, uh, gosh, I think three nights uh, in hotels, and, and uh, it was tremendous. We could not have done all of this. It was a significant uh, outlay of funds. We could not have done that without J.P. Morgan Chase and Ross Pangier. Thank you. <clears throat> The reason why J.P. Morgan Chase did, did this, why they funded this project, is that they believe very seriously in capacity building, and in particular for the nonprofit sector to take a good hard look at what they as organizations are doing, how to be able to maximize the effectiveness and efficiency of their pro programs and services and staff. And so... It tied in really well. 
So we went through this process. It started in October of last year during the, uh, the fall board meeting out here, actually. And it was uh, arrived, essentially, there were five focus areas that, that the board and leadership sort of arrived at. These focus areas where we're going to devote significant amount of time, energy, and resources to. These five areas, <coughs> pardon me, are affiliate and membership, marketing and communications, convention and meetings, development, and then advocacy, policy, and legislation. So those are the five. Each of these five groups put together their own action plans for uh, the work that they feel and that we collectively as an organization feel needs to be done. So if you take a look at marketing and communications, for example. By the way, each one of these focus group areas has a, has a designated leader. Um, they are, there are teams of people in each of these groups with uh, a leader. And so taking a look at marketing and communications, this is an area, and uh, have, you, have you heard, oh, geez, ACB is the best kept secret, right? That is so annoying to hear. Um, and, and so we have all of these communications channels. We've got our website. We've got ACB radio. We've got our, our social media presence. We've got any number of, of channels that we communicate, our email lists. How are we doing? Are we, are we maximizing each of these channels? When we communicate with you, are we utilizing the most effective channels to impart information? That's one of the areas that, that this group is looking at. They're actually putting down onto paper for the first time since I've been around, and I've been around 10 years, all of these channels and who's, who's responsible for them, and then taking a good hard look at if they are effective, and if they're not as effective, how can we make them more effective? Or should some of these be merged or, or simply removed because of the, the day and age that we're now living in? So these are, these are important things for us to be able to, to raise the visibility of the great work that ACB does, to let others know about it. It will impact us in all the other four areas, right? These, these focus areas are not independent in and of themselves. They are all interrelated. They're not their own silos. Marketing and communications can have a direct and positive impact and powerful impact on our ability to recruit and retain members. Letting, letting folks know who we are and what we do and not being bashful about it. We, we are taking a good hard look at development. In order for us to be able to provide more programs and, and services to our members, we need to, number one, be able to sustain ourselves from a financial standpoint, which I believe we are there, but additionally, to, to grow, and to grow uh, year over year at a rate that allows us to add additional staff in certain 
key areas so that we are more professional, we're more effective, and we're more efficient in the work that we do. One of the things that came crystal clear to us as we were, as uh, Kim and I were meeting with these five focus areas is that there is a need for us to professionalize our staff more. I'm not talking about 30 staff members or anything like that, but an additional three could really help. Dealing with advocacy, dealing with affiliate and membership, as well as marketing and communications. These are all, all areas that are really important to the work of ACB. And you should expect that from us. You should expect us to, to be um, more responsive. The overall sustainability of ACB is something that you know, I mentioned a minute ago. Uh, we've, and the board has taken some really excellent corrective action over the last couple of years to ensure that we are on a stable financial footing dealing with leases uh, that were coming due. We got out of some pretty bad leases for offices. Uh, we're in a far better place now uh, financially. So how do we grow? And that is the age-old question for many nonprofits. How do we grow? There is a big, uh, there's a big ocean of money out there, but there are millions and millions and millions of fish in that ocean competing uh, for every dollar that's out there. Well, one of the areas that we've grown exponentially over the last five years is the, the financial support that corporations give us, and in particular, corporate sponsorships of this convention. The, the overall increase from 2012 to this year is over $220,000. So it's big. The best part of this, in my way of thinking, is that we're actually influencing these companies in a positive way. They're not just giving us money and uh, going away. They're here. You guys saw what Amazon did this morning, Microsoft. J.P. Morgan Chase will be here tomorrow. AT&T with Ira, which, by the way, we're proud new Ira explorers in our house as of yesterday. Uh, Google. There's a lot that's happening. This is such a wild and wonderful age that we're living in right now from an innovation standpoint with regard to accessibility. It is, it is exciting. And, and also a little, uh, it, it's just, there are disparate technologies being developed uh, in the whole world of Internet of Things, right? So having all these companies here, getting your feedback, listening to you, and then taking your feedback and building, building a better stapler, building a better television, building a better operating system. It's really, it's really important, and these are ways that we can continue to grow, maintain our advocate stance and posture, and ultimately win. So 
the other areas that, that we're really investing heavily in are corporate foundations, uh, family foundations, uh, Tom Tobin, our director of development, and uh, Joel and Bailey Page, who's our grant writer. Uh, they've been doing phenomenal work, and I, I really appreciate uh, their, their effort and, and success. At the end of the day, we need to grow, which means we need to succeed in getting grant monies from whatever source we go after. An interesting uh, sort of shift within foundation giving, uh, I think, could bode well for us. It's the, the foundation world has really been, for the last decade or so, focused almost solely upon providing grants for specific services and programs. That, that has begun to shift toward, and, and thankfully, uh, the understanding has shifted that, you know, nonprofits can only do so much if they're, they're constantly going after specific services and programs, but they're not able to keep their lights on, right? So, so the focus is now shifting back toward providing general operating funds through grants, which is an area that, that we, uh, I think, have the opportunity to, to succeed in, in going after those dollars. This strategic plan takes a look really at the next three years. How are we going to grow? How are we going to communicate? How are we going to recruit? How are we going to engage members and non-members in this wonderful convention? There's, there is uh, significant work going on right now taking a look at the ability to potentially virtually attend aspects of this convention and to vote to get CEUs. But at the end of the day, we would not be here, <clears throat> pardon me, if it were not for all of the wonderful advocacy work that we do. So if you take a look at, at who we are, that advocacy policy and legislation focus area, that's our meat and potatoes. That's our spine of the organization. That's why we're here. And so uh, Tony Stevens, who actually is leading that focus area, they've put together, <laughs> what is it, Tony, 25 initiatives, all, all of whom you, you all are aware of these initiatives, okay? But it's so seldom down through the years that that all this stuff ever gets put down onto paper. We have a, a, an extraordinary amount of institutional knowledge in this organization. And not often enough does it actually make its way onto paper uh, in terms of process and procedure. Uh, it, th this work, this advocacy work, correlates directly with our marketing and communications work, with our affiliate and membership work. It all ties in. The more that we can get out the word of our good work to the, the general public, to the blindness community, to the donor community, and ultimately to you all in the state and special interest affiliates, the better off we're going to be. The, the more we're going to be able to go recruit new members, 
the more we're going to be able to, to effectively communicate the awesomeness that is ACP. So yeah, there's just a couple things going on. Um, it's <laughs> it, it's um it's this is a it's a fun time to be part of ACB. Uh, this convention, I know many of you have have been to more than than I have. But I was talking to Kim. I think it was during the board meeting. This is my 19th convention. I yeah, and it's my 19th in a row. I was in college. I was a part of the student affiliate. And actually, I wasn't even a part of the student affiliate yet. I just didn't know many blind people when I was in college. And I met uh, someone, uh, Mike Gravitt from Pennsylvania. And he encouraged me to come to the, to the ACB convention in Los Angeles in 1999. And I've been, been doing it ever since. Kind of a wild career trajectory. I, I was. Uh, denied twice for scholarships by ACB. I was denied an internship by ACB. I kept coming back. <laughs> Pretty crazy. It, yeah, it is. This is my revenge, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I am Michael Myers. Yeah. Yeah. So um, these, are, these are fun times. They're, ex they're exciting. They're exhausting times. But we we have the ability and we already are you're starting to see some of the some of the work that's that's taken place over the last year in particular social media uh we've got a facebook team and a twitter team that push out a lot of really good content uh kelly gask uh does that uh for us from the national office perspective uh year to year uh our facebook likes are up uh 66% and our twitter uh, images, I think is what it's called. Twitter's so hard to understand. Followers, yeah, are up uh, 75%. So did we come to this late? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we did. But we're making up for it. Uh, we posted, I don't know if you all have been on Facebook or Twitter in the last 24 hours, but we posted uh, uh, a video from a scholarship winner presentation yesterday. Uh, yesterday afternoon, as a matter of fact. Uh, Jimmy, oh God, what's his name, uh, from Louisiana. Um, his presentation was outstanding. It was smart, it was funny, and uh, why not share it with the rest of the world, right? So we did it. You'll be seeing more of this sort of uh, outreach uh, in, the, in the coming weeks and months and years. And uh, there will be thought behind it. It's not going to be some random thing, although... Every once in a while, something random happens. Tony can tell you all about random and, and the legislative process. But, uh, you know, I, in closing, it, it, is, it is fun to be able to, <clears throat> pardon me, to see uh, some, some interesting changes begin to take effect. There, there are more, that, more things that we need to do uh, at the end of the day, we're, we're not changing ultimately who ACB is. We're just modernizing in, in certain areas so that we can be a lot more effective and tell the world of the good work of ACB. So with that, I thank you very much and enjoy the rest.
of your convention. I'm not going to give you a hug. Oh, thank you. you don't have to. Thank you. <laughs> okay, I'll take that. Thank you. <laughs> um, thank you, Eric. Uh, and, you know, if that doesn't tell you that there's a lot going on at ACB, then I don't know what will because uh, we, um, we just have, um, there's just a lot that is getting done. And this is all, as, he, as Eric said, going to make a better ACB. Uh, before I bring up Tony, I want to make two quick announcements. First of all, clarification on why the, the program says 8 o'clock for the showcase. The reason it's moved to 7.30 tonight is because we want to try to get it over before the fireworks start up out here. Uh, as you may have heard Saturday night, they were pretty loud, so we want to try to get that. They're going to be louder tonight, so they say. So uh, we wanted to do that. The second, I want to kind of let you know what's going to happen the rest of the morning. It's been a little uh, uh, snafu, I guess, logistical issue. So. What's going to happen is that uh, I'm going to bring up Tony Stevens uh, to do a presentation for us. Then we're going to hear from Cameron Rolls uh, from Down Under Might. And then we're going to go to resolutions. Now, your program says we're going to hear about audio description. That is going to happen tomorrow. So there's a little mix-up there. Uh, think, stuff happens. I almost said the other thing happens. Oh, boy, better be careful. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, so we'll do all the award winners for uh, audio description tomorrow. So just make note of that. All right. Gives me great pleasure now to bring to the microphone to talk to us about the ABLE Act, Achieving Better Life Experience, Section 529A of the Internal Revenue Code. <laughs> but it's not something we ought to sleep on because it's something uh, that we can all take advantage, many of us can take advantage of. And to talk with us more about it, it's a great pleasure to bring to the microphone a gentleman that uh, I've gotten a lot of opportunities to work with over the last uh, year or so since he joined ACB, especially now sitting on the advocacy legislation and policy team. It's a great pleasure to introduce the ACB Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, Tony Stevens. Hey, podium. I'm going to just slide out. All right, good morning, Sparks. Oh, let me hear. It's the 4th of July. Good morning, Sparks, Nevada. That's better. Good morning, ACB. Good morning, everybody listening in, or good afternoon, wherever you are listening in on ACB radio. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I get to talk to you about tax reform and about tax code. So you got your pillows? Is it nap time? Um, yeah, that's the reason why I'm trying to amp everybody up. We're on the final hour, everybody. So how's everybody doing? That's what I like to hear, okay. So as we, as we dive into tax code language, um, you know, Madam President, Secretary Campbell, Eric Bridges, to everybody here, thank you very much for the opportunity to come and share with you some information. We don't get to share that often about the positive benefit effects of what takes place in Washington, D.C. Uh, for those that have been following the news over the past six years or so, there hasn't been too much that has been able to charge its way through Congress, if you will, unless you're a post office or a library that needs a name. But one of the things that we are fortunate to share with you today because it's gone into implementation is something called the Achieving Better Life Experience Act of 2014. It was a piece of legislation that was first introduced by Senator Casey from Pennsylvania. Where's Pennsylvania? We got some pen over here to the left, my stage left, so congrats for Pennsylvania. 
You know, when Senator Harkin left Congress a couple years ago, there was very much a big void for those advocating on disability rights in Congress. Those that don't know, Senator Harkin was the father of the Americans with Disability Act, critical in passage of that bill uh, in, in Iowa, uh, like our president, or, or not our president, our president is Oregonian, aren't you, Madam President? And in Massachusetts, but for Eric, our executive director, my boss is Iowa as well, something in the water there for disability rights, I think. But in that sense, the void that was filled by Senator Harkin was that of Senator Casey. He's now one of the strongest champions for disability rights, and the ABLE Act is one of the strongest pieces of legislation that has been passed in many years in Congress. Uh, does anybody know what ABLE is? Has anybody heard of it? There are a few that have heard of it. Many may have heard, but few may actually be participating in it. You know, one of the things Eric was talking about was planning for our future, particularly around financial planning for ACB. What I'd like to do now is turn the microphone around, figuratively, not literally, and talk to you all about your financial planning and about some opportunities that have been taking place over recent years that have really overcome one of the greater hurdles that we have faced as a people with disabilities, as people with vision loss, but the larger disability community as well. We know that the numbers stack us up where there are many who rely heavily on SSI, SSDI, and Medicaid for the, for the fundamental necessities in their life and for health care and for the supports and services they receive. The difficulty with these programs is that they often put us in a situation where we are forced into poverty. I think this is an issue that many of us have faced personally, but we as a population in trying to find opportunity and to achieve the American dream oftentimes find ourselves running into a wall because of the constraints and the restraints that SSI and SSDI have around earned income and Medicaid have around how much resources, how much money you can have in the bank. Now, there's been things like trusts that you can have over the years where you can establish a trust, but those can oftentimes create a number of restrictions and hoops and make it difficult. What the ABLE Act did was it reformed the tax code in a way that really helps break down the barriers towards forced life of poverty for those that are on benefits, such as SSI, SSDI, or those relying on Medicaid. And those numbers have increased significantly in recent years due to the expansion of Medicaid. You know, there is the $2,000 you're allowed to have, and anything over that you need to report. And it can impact your SSI benefits if you're on supplemental security income. What the ABLE Act has done is not just for people on those benefits. But anybody who, who acquired a disability under the age of 26, is there anybody in here that lost their vision before the age of 26? It allows you to establish a particular account pretty much similar to the account of anybody that's ever had children for the 529 accounts, those college savings account, that you, your friends, your family can put up to $14,000 a year in this account. And it's tax-deferred money. It's money that you won't get taxed on. So it... It, let's say if you're working and you're on SSI or SSDI where you're worried about the cash cliff, you can put some money into a 529 account to adjust your income and use that money towards things that are vital assistance for people with disabilities. So it's a particular savings account similar to the 529 where you can use for college, the 529A, as it's called, for ABLE Act, but too it was just sort of the letter A, the way they number things. It was a nice coincidence, I guess you could say. But the 529A account that is now one of the boxes you can check does a lot more than just checking a box on an IRS form. It allows people with disabilities to have up to $100,000 in the bank. If you're on SSI or SSDI where you're not worried about losing that money, SSI will look up to $100,000 for money that can be put towards services, supports, employment training, a wide number of resources 
that are, that are critical as a result of your disability. So if you've gone you know, visually impaired, if you've gone blind or lost your sight before the age of 26, I would, I would seriously take a chance to try to look into this account. Because you don't have to be 26 now or younger. It could have happened earlier before. If you're on SSI or SSDI, one of the nice things is you're automatically, you can automatically set up a 529 account. You don't have to go to your physician. If, if, you, if you are not on SSI or SSDI and you still want to open up a 529A account, you can still do so, but you need to do the, you know, the typical letter from a physician identifying that you have a disability that was before the age of 26. But what these accounts do is they allow you to put in money. Now, when the bill was initially passed and signed into law, it was set up where you had to go by your state. So the way it works is you work through these hurdles of, of local state laws being created and states creating their own 529 accounts. But in 2015, Congress said, you know, that doesn't need to happen because some states are not as fast to ramp up. Some states are having a more harder time. So for many states, you're allowed, really anybody can sign up into any state account that does sharing with other states. So right now, we're up to a large number of states that have already implemented through state legislatures their 529 accounts. So you can go and you can find out if your state already has one, but if you're in a state maybe that doesn't have one or doesn't have the best account, because these are retirement accounts, the kind of things that you do where you, you put in money, that money's invested, you can earn some interest on that money, and then you can pull it out at a later time to be able to put it towards things, everything from, from as I, I like to say, from IRA to ZoomTex, from A to Z. If you're, stuck in a, if you're stuck in a rut and you need to call your Uber, you know, transportation is something you can write off. If you're, if you're walking through the, you know, the exhibit floor and, and you see something that costs $2,000 and you think to yourself, I won't even be able to save that kind of money in the bank because as soon as I do, guess who's going to find out? That's no more with the 529 account. You can save, if you're, like I said, with SSI, upward of $100,000. And once you go over that $100,000, you don't lose your SSI necessarily. You get back on it, but you have to work down. You have to spend that extra. If you have $110,000, you have to spend that $10,000 to get back down to where SSI is. But if you're not on SSI, a number of states, most of the plans are over $300,000 you can have up into savings. Now, for folks that have developmental disability, disabilities or rely on that personal care as you're older in life and you need someone to take care of you, provide that personal care, that PCA, this money is critical. It can go directly towards that. And it's, it's tax money that friends and family and others can put in over the years, and it accrues. It money, money that makes money. And twice a year, you're allowed to go in Unlike a trust that's a little harder to manage with, with what your money and your assets are being managed as, you're allowed to go in twice a year with Enable Act and move the money around. So it's, it's similar to the kind of retirement accounts that folks you know, in corporate world are able to achieve or, or folks that have college savings accounts, but in the sense that it can be used for real progress in, in sort of the needs and services that we have as people with disabilities. So you know, I encourage everyone to find out what your state is. You need that there are certain rules where not every state allows you to share from other states, such as Florida. The Florida ABLE United account can only be used for Florida residents. But if you're in Florida, you can also sign up. If, you, if you're not liking what Florida ABLE account is doing, you can sign up for the Ohio or Nebraska accounts. Different states allow that sharing, as I said. So there's a very important resource. I want, I want everyone in this room to remember this. I'm going to give a URL, a website. It's ablenrc. Dot org. And I'll spell it out. A-B-L-E-N-R-C dot O-R-G. And that's the ABLE National Resource Center. What ABLE NRC does is it gives you all that state-by-state -state information. It provides you information. Uh, it's, it's, it's all bias 
or excuse me, it's all unbiased information provided by the, yeah, there, there, well, you know, there are some folks out there that are trying to, you know, buy, sell you on products. You know, the financial firms got involved with this, um, and, and they were working to, you know, so it's good to know knowledge before you go and, and shop around like any investment. I'm not an investment or financial planner, but go to the ABLE NRC for the National Resource Center, the ABLE National Resource Center.org, ablenrc.org, and they have the state-by-state -state analysis where you can do all the research and find out more about these accounts. And then you can go to those various accounts and set them up and begin to start planning for your own future. We know oftentimes that, that you know, the results of our vision loss or our blindness uh, have a cost attached to it, a real cost. You know, software is not always expensive, but it's not always cheap nowadays compared to what it was 20 years ago. But the technology, even though the prices of technology is coming down or we, we're getting services that, you know, are sort of monthly services or the monthly costs you might have towards a personal care attendant, you know, these things add up. So it's smart to be able to plan for your future in a way that your, you know, the, the, the hardships that we face sometimes by a cost number of, of, you know, Uber and things like that, or even taking taxis in places where we might not have Uber and Lyft, ride-sharing programs, or what did we learn about the other day, the go-go uh, grandma, I think was one of it, or go-go grandparent, go-go grandparent. You know, these, these services cost money, but now there's finally a way that, you know, we're able to work through the tax system to benefit so that we can begin to afford those things more. And it takes some of the stress off when you're on a fixed income. So again, ablenrc.org. Check it out. Um, I'm happy in the national office. If anybody has any questions, we can put you in folks with the National Disability Institute that runs ablenrc. They're a group based out of Washington, D.C. And, and have been leading the way. And we work uh, on a coalitions with them and happy to put folks in touch as well. Feel free to call our national office when we get back in Washington with any questions. So who's going to plan for their future smart? Hopefully everybody in this room. Um, and, and so thank you very much for the opportunity to share with you a little bit of the positive news that's come out in some of the disability legislation that ABLE was able to provide. So we have some good news to share from Washington that's finally into effect. Thanks, everyone. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you, and Tony will be around, so if anybody has questions, you can certainly uh, catch up with him between now and the end of the uh, convention. Boy, they, dim they turn the lights up every time I come up on stage. I don't know what that's all about, but anyways, all right. As we um, bring up our next speaker, I want you all to know, and those of you listening out on ACB Radio, that we truly are an international event here, the ACB Conference and Convention. Let me read off the list of countries that we have folks here from, and if there's some other ones, um, you know, give a shout out maybe that we might have forgotten. Nepal, India, Israel, Canada, Australia, Antigua slash Barbuda, uh, the Democratic Republic of Korea, and Puerto Rico. Those are the countries that are represented here at the ACB Conference and Convention. Let's give them, yes, absolutely. So people around the world really respect and value what ACB is doing. And that brings me to our next presenter. We are very privileged to have with us a member of the Board of Directors of Vision Australia from Down Under. He's going to share the news from Down Under. It gives me great pleasure to bring to the microphone Mr. Cameron Rolls.
Well, thank you very much for that very kind introduction. I'm back, sorry. Thank you. President Charlson, ACB Board of Directors, distinguished guests, members and affiliates. As a guest at the AP ACB convention, I'm honoured to have been asked to address convention. It's a particular honour and privilege to be asked to address convention on Independence Day. I'll explain why I feel so honoured in a moment, but before I do, let me tell you a little about Vision Australia and the Australian environment for blind and low vision people. Sorry, I'm just adjusting the mic, <laughs> adjusting the dog. Um, as many of you probably know, your close neighbour Canada turned 150 on Saturday. The predecessor state-based organisations of Vision Australia date back to a similar time, giving us a lengthy record of providing services and opportunities for blind and low vision people across Australia. Vision Australia is primarily a service delivery organisation, the aim of which is to assist blind and vision impaired people um, to live the life they choose. Oh, I'm really sorry. I'm trying not to eat the microphone. All right. To live the life they choose. Okay, I'm going to leave right in. Um, so, um, all right. Last year, the Board of Vision Australia set out four pillars which are to guide our service delivery over the next four years. These pillars are employment, education, independence, and social inclusion. And they form a reference point for the organisation's priorities moving forward. Unlike the United States, service delivery in Australia is not so closely tied to the, to the vocational rehabilitation model. The provision of services is underpinned by the belief that such things as, as, such things as safe travel, access to accessible information and the like are human rights which justify the receipt of assistance. The way in which this assistance is provided has, is changing dramatically. In the past, Vision Australia derived a significant amount of its revenue from block funding from government, along with funds raised from the general public and corporate donations. But in 2013, a once-in-a-generation change was made to the way disability services in Australia were funded. Australia enacted a National Disability Insurance Scheme which, 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 provides for a, um, sorry, which provides people with a permanent disability under 65 with funds to help them to access both specialised and mainstream services based on reasonable and necessary supports to help them achieve their life goals. This funding is in addition to any existing pension arrangements. And two key measures of the scheme are worth highlighting. These are that it potentially provides funds for a wider array of services than was previously funded by government under block grants and that the funding is linked to, to an individual and their life goals and is not given to organisations. This presents challenges and opportunities to both individuals and organisations like Vision Australia. For individuals, uh, they must 
change their thought processes from being told what services they can get in favour of an approach which requires them to advocate and justify the services they want. This is fantastic as it gives individuals greater autonomy and control over their lives. But it's also critical that those who are less able to advocate for themselves don't get left behind. For Vision Australia, we now face a competitive market. The old days of block funding are on the way out to be replaced by a model which permits the individual to allocate funding to the organisation for whom they want to receive the services. These uncertain re revenue streams require Vision Australia to adopt more competitive practices to ensure its ongoing viability. And it is a challenge which we at Vision Australia are up for. An area of common interest to both our organisations is advocacy. Like yourselves, we're constantly needing to advocate for the human rights of blind and low vision people. By way of example, we face significant challenges around advocating for accessibility in education, particularly with respect to learning management systems and online platforms. Like yourselves, we are also concerned about the lack of accessibility in touchscreen consumer and home appliances. It is my hope that blindness organisations across the world come closer together and advocate jointly for improvements in these important areas. But despite the struggles we can all experience on a daily basis, I want to end my remarks on an optimistic note. I mentioned at the outset that I was honoured to address you on Independence Day, a day when, 241 years ago, the brave forefathers of your nation decided to reject the tyranny of coronial rule in favour of freedom, liberty and prosperity. Those brave men came to a fork in the road for the then 13 American colonies and their vision for a better future has inspired generations to come. It is my personal view that the blindness community has also reached its own fork in the road and that the decisions taken over the next decade or so will inspire future generations. Like the Founding Fathers, many of the leaders in the world's largest technology companies have made deliberate decisions to incorporate inclusive design and accessibility into their products, drastically improving the lives of blind people across the world. When, we, when they reached their own fork in the road, these leaders took a path of principle. We need to encourage others to do the same. Now is the best time in human history to be blind and blindness organisations across the world must work together to ensure that remaining barriers are eliminated and that the great promise of our future is fulfilled. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Cameron. And, you know, it's one of the things that's always interesting to me when I come. And Mark Riker, are you up here? Okay. One of the things that is always uh, interesting to me when coming to one of these conventions, and thanks to the work of our International Relations Committee chaired by Sandra Sermons, is that you learn that the more we think we're different, the more we're the same, and the more issues that we have. So we definitely need to uh, work together. All right. It now gives me great pleasure to 
turn the microphone over to a uh, gentleman that we have heard many a times and is a great ACB person to be it further resolved that I turn the microphone over now to Mark Reichert, the chair of ACB's Resolutions Committee. Uh, Mike for Mark, please. Mark, Mike for Mark. Try that fast. Table mic, stage right. Turn Mark on there. Greetings. Hello. There he is. Volume up, volume up, volume up. Hello. If I get any closer to this microphone, it's going to have my last name. I'm telling you. <laughs> Come on. Turn it up. Tighten it up. Be like the old CTA uh, microphones in Chicago, right, Karen? Uh, this is exciting. There you go. Listen to that voice. Hi there. How are you guys? All right. This will be, if you do something with it, 2703. Uh, here we go. Whereas 2017 marks the 100th anniversary of Lions Clubs International. And whereas Lions have worked to provide assistance to individuals who are blind or visually impaired throughout the world, willingly answering the call to be Knights of the Blind, issued to them by Helen Keller at the organization's 1925 National Convention. And whereas the American Council of the Blind Lions, ACBL, is formally recognized by Lions Clubs International and throughout its existence, ACBL has sought to educate Lions about the capabilities of individuals who are blind or visually impaired. And whereas ACBL has worked to encourage lions who are blind to actively participate in and aspire to leadership positions in their local clubs. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the American Council of the Blind joins with its special interest affiliate, the American Council of the Blind Lions, to congratulate Lions Clubs International on its 100th anniversary of service. And be it further resolved that a copy of this resolution be sent to Lions Clubs International. And with a robust roar, roar. we recommend a do pass and ISO move. It is a great honor for this lion to say that the motion has been moved and seconded to adopt this resolution. Is there any discussion? Um, Mr. Other Lion, Mr. Lion Mitch. This uh, week also happens to be the uh, national or the international convention of Lions Clubs International in Chicago. Yeah. I'm wondering if there is any way that this resolution could be transmitted to Lions Clubs International uh, within the next day or two. If they're the, in the Hawaii, I'll take it there myself. Well, eh? I understand, but perhaps, perhaps electronically, I don't know if, if it's practical, but it should be great if LCI could get the resolution this week. Yeah. I believe the last day of the convention is actually today, uh, so... Probably the last plenary session, so I'm not sure. And they're two hours ahead of us. So Never mind. I'm not sure. But, hey, it's always worth a try. Let's see what we can do about that. Thank you, sir. Any other discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor of adoption of this resolution say roar. Roar. Those opposed, the resolution is adopted. 
Thank you. I'm going to turn, before I, we go to the next resolution, I'm going to turn this back over to Kim to manage the rest of the morning and the business part of this. But I just want to take a moment of personal privilege to thank you for giving me the opportunity to not only serve you as secretary, but to preside in front of this wonderful convention this morning. And I wish you all a great rest of the convention. And uh, go Cubs. Thank you. <laughs> Mike for Mark. Hello. He's back. Very good. Just when you thought it was safe. All right. This one, uh, ladies and gentlemen, yesterday you had an excellent break. I assume we're all okay. Hold on a brief moment, please. Everyone's all safe and sound and no need to perform any rituals or anything like that. Although if you happen to have a gauze bandage, I would take it. Uh, all right. Here we go. Uh, this, uh, yesterday you had an excellent presentation from Dr. Sharon Sachs on educational issues. And uh, I know that uh, some of these issues were flagged yesterday. And uh, so uh, stay uh, uh, tuned uh, or get, get, uh, connect the dots with that as you hear this resolution about educational services. Uh, where, whereas students with vision loss who have, whereas students with vision loss have a fundamental right to a free and appropriate public education uh, pursuant to the United States Constitution, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and other long-standing provisions of federal and state law. And whereas protection and enforcement of such students' rights depends upon both the provision of appropriate accommodations and the provision of specialized instruction and services meeting students' individual disability-related needs. And whereas such specialized instructional services provided to students who are blind or visually impaired are collectively referred to as the expanded core curriculum, and whereas critical components of the ECC such as orientation and mobility, independent living, social integration, self-advocacy, and related skills training cannot be competently taught or proficiently learned when the provision of such training is confined to the four walls of a classroom or even generally to school premises and only during normal school hours. Yeah, you better applaud that. That's all right. And where, because we don't like it, and whereas all across America there is a disturbing trend on the part of states and local school districts to nevertheless require that these indispensable skills be taught only on campus and during normal school hours. And whereas these restrictions include but are not limited to prohibiting any instruction uh, before or after school, prohibiting all off-campus orientation and mobility instruction, I mean, that's amazing, guys. Prohibiting all off-campus orientation mobility instruction. That's amazing. Forbidding preschool students from being uh, taken off campus and such in, uh, for such instruction. Limiting instruction to within a small radius of the school, i.e. three blocks. Requiring parental consent for every off-campus trip, 
when receiving orientation and mobility instruction and requiring as a condition of off-campus instruction that a parent be present to sign out the student. And whereas states and school districts that impose such unwarranted restrictions are categorically in violation. I'm sorry, I'm being pestered by a fly up here. This is quite exciting. I'm not sure that was Kim not dangling a feather in my face there for a second. It's like, take that, take that. See if you can keep focused. And whereas state and school districts that impose such unwarranted restrictions are categorically in violation of federal special education law and policy, which clearly provides that such services are to be provided at home, at school, and in community. Now, therefore, be it resolved that this organization demands that as part of a comprehensive update and revision, uh, excuse me, a comprehensive update and reissuance of policy guidance concerning students who are blind or visually impaired last published in 2000, that the U.S. Department of Education declare in unambiguous terms that states and districts' imposition of restrictions limiting the provision of the instruction and services comprising the expanded core curriculum to school grounds and or during normal school hours severely impairs, if not denies, the right of all students with vision loss to a truly free and appropriate public, public education, and be it further resolved that this organization uh, ensures that broad ensures the broad dissemination of this resolution to its state chapters, special interest affiliates, organizations of parents of children with visual impairments, state directors of special education, teachers of students with vision impairments, and any and all stakeholders which may be identified to assist parents, professionals, and advocates at the state and local level to defend the right of all students who are blind or visually impaired to an education that is irrefutably worthy of their tremendous potential. And we most assuredly move a uh, recommended due pass, and I so move. So motion's been made and seconded to approve this resolution. Is there any discussion? Can get to a microphone. Behind you. I am told it's behind you. Yes. The closest exit may be behind you. <laughs> uh, we need the back aisle mic on. Say something. No. Don't hear that one. All right. Is there anyone else at a mic? And perhaps you could re... Come to another microphone. Five rows forward. Okay. Four, five, five rows forward, I'm told there's another mic. Oh, someone's bringing you a mic. How kind. That thank is you. so oh. nice. Okay. That, is, I think that is a nice person. Thank you, whoever brought this. Um, <laughs> I, I have no problem with the res. I like the resolution. Mark, I I'm just um, want to ask a quick question. In I think in the whereas is you talked about requiring parental um, permission? Yes. Yeah. What's, what's your question? Okay. So um, my question is, are we saying that we don't want to require parental permission? I, I'm a little bit confused there. 
the, the examples that were given of the restrictions include requiring a parent to be actually present, physically present at the time when a, to sign a student out. Which, oh, physically present. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Never mind. I, I was concerned we, that we were We certainly gonna... do not want to require parental attendance at every right. O&M no, no, no. course. I, yes. I, I thought you didn't want parental if my mother had been with me when I did my O&M when I was a teenager... I'd still be standing on that street corner, man. I'd be like, (laughs) waiting there. No, what what my concern was that we weren't going to require parental permission at all to take kids off campus. No, no, I don't think that that would be appropriate at all. I I don't either. Thank you. Is there any other clarification? Hearing none, all those in favor of this resolution signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? The resolution is adopted. Thank you very much. We are cooking with gas, as they say. So we talked about lions. Now we're going to talk about dogs. Lions, dogs, and ECC. Oh, my. If only that were funnier. All right. Uh, here we go. I, uh, yeah, let's see. That was one, two, three. I guess this will be 2017-05, if you agree. Okay. Whereas one year ago... The, sorry, um, yep. Whereas one year ago, the American Council of the Blind uh, unanimously adopted a resolution. That was y'all, by the way. Whereas uh, re- uh, re- adopted a resolution calling upon the United States Department of Transportation, DOT, to harmonize its service animal regulations with those of the United States Department of Justice. And whereas throughout this past year, ACB has been actively engaged in negotiated rulemaking with DOT, the airline industry, and other disability advocates tasked with finding compromise to revise the Air Carrier Access Act's regulations concerning service animals. And whereas advocates and industry were unable to reach consensus, resulting in a stalemate in which a proper definition of service animals that would uh, curtail fraud and abuse has not been achieved. And whereas this policy and procedural breakdown means that responsibility for issuance of a proposed rule on this matter now lies with the the DOT's Aviation Compliance Division. And whereas DOT has failed to issue uh, such a proposed rule for public comment, And whereas uh, over this very period, the airline industry continues to restrict the rights of individuals traveling with guide dogs, such as the media-documented case of a passenger in Dallas who was refused access to the plane with her service animal in late 2016. Right. And whereas multiple complaints by guide dogs Uh, guide and service dog handlers against airlines regarding uh, poor quality of customer service, Uh, whoops, hold it, persistent misunderstanding of the law and provision of reasonable accommodations, and now here we go, there's a a number of examples of those accommodations, such as pre-boarding, seating preference, and assistance in navigating through and beyond airport security, close paren, all demonstrate a pattern and practice of access inequality. 
And whereas at the same time, individuals traveling with pets falsely claimed or assumed to be service animals continue to cast a negative light on the legitimate use of service animals, furthering the bias against passengers with service dogs. Now, therefore, be it resolved by us that this organization calls upon the U.S. Department of Transportation to issue, with all deliberate speed, regulations strengthening the rights of passengers with service animals by aligning them with the service animal rules already promulgated by the United States Department of Justice so as to reduce the fraud and abuse uh, of service animals of service animal misrepresentation, and be it further resolved that this organization collaborate with Guide Dog Users Incorporated, GDUI, to ensure through training, outreach, and advocacy that airlines improve quality of customer service by airline staff, the effectiveness of complaint resolution officers, or CROs, and airlines' overall commitment to the rights and responsibilities of passengers with service animals so as to honor the dignity with all pass the dignity uh, whoops yeah the dignity with all passengers that all passengers deserve to travel free of harassment and abuse and of course we recommend a do pass and i so move there you go all right a motion has been made and seconded to approve this amendment is there any discussion Hearing none, all those in favor of this resolution, signify by saying aye. aye. And, and woof for good measure. <laughs> all those opposed, say no. There we go. There's that woof. Thank you. All right. This resolution is adopted. And all guide dog users in this room and throughout this country, um, thank you for crafting such a great resolution. Okay, well, here we go. Let's do this. Let's do this. All right. We had lions, we had dogs, and now we got vendors. Because we just, we like variety in this organization, man. It's a veritable buffet of topics. All right. Uh, here we go. This is about something called micro-markets, and I didn't know much about these, and I expect many of you don't either, but uh, you'll know more about them after we're done with this. Whereas the American Council of the Blind, ACB, and its affiliates have been actively advocating on issues that involve... Could, you, could someone maybe turn up the mic? I, honestly, if I get closer to this thing, I'm, I'm going to be... I, I think they're, you think the battery died on this mic? Let me switch it with mine and see how we go there. No, it's just stopped okay. almost right there. Oh, okay. All right, we're going to switch mics because I think his battery died. Not Mark's. Well, maybe Mark's. I don't know. <laughs> Learn 
to croon. All right. Oh, dear. Start over, she says. Crack that whip. Ah, okay. Whereas the American Council of the Blind, ACB, and its affiliates have been actively advocating on issues that involve self-service kiosks in a variety of settings. And whereas these settings include medical facilities and restaurants. And whereas in recent years, micro-markets have begun to replace other types of food vending facilities. And whereas a micro-market is a food uh, facility industry that is completely self-service in nature, that is kiosk-based, and that provides uh, prepared foods and beverages. And whereas proponents of micro-markets argue that micro-markets have a number of advantages over vending machines, including the use of a variety of payment options, less need for maintenance, the ability to display offerings in a more attractive way, the, the capacity to acquire data on sales, and the ability to more quickly modify offerings and pricing uh, response and, and pricing res, response to demand and pricing response to demand is what it says sorry about that and whereas despite the repeated urgings urging of ACB's affiliate Randolph Shepard vendors of America RSVA and state licensing agencies uh, and the promises of some micro market manufacturers Micromarkets remain largely inaccessible both to consumers with vision loss and to blind micromarket operators. And whereas the use of micromarkets, as, uh, as with many types of automated self-service facilities, uh, is only in its infancy and will, without doubt, grow rapidly throughout the nation. And whereas it is essential that these facilities be fully accessible to consumers and operators alike, and whereas it is incumbent upon the blind community generally, and ACB in particular, to work collaboratively whenever possible to ensure that self-service facilities are fully accessible to persons who are blind or, vision, or, or who have low vision. Now, therefore, be it resolved that this organization joins with its affiliate, Randolph Shepard Vendors of America, to urge in the strongest terms possible that micro-market manufacturers make these facilities fully accessible to consumers and operators who are blind or who have low vision. And be it further resolved that this organization offer, Mike, offers micro-market manufacturers, you say that three times, I'm telling you, Micromarket manufacturers the assistance of its inv information access committee to achieve the goals of this resolution in uh, the most expeditious manner possible. And be it further resolved that in the event that micromarket manufacturers fail to use their best efforts to ensure the full accessibility of micromarkets at the earliest possible time, this organization demands that state licensing agencies refuse to allow the use 
of micro-markets in the business enterprise program. And we recommend to do pass, and I so move. All right. Motion's been made and seconded to approve this resolution. Is there any discussion? Yes. I recognize Darian Lemming. Yes. So in one of the uh, whereas clauses where it says, like, several words about strongly urge or something, can we not make that a stronger thing by saying insist? I, I, have, I think we would accept that as a friendly amendment, Madam Chair. We'll okay. change that. Thank All right. you. We'll make that stronger. All right. Any other dis discussion? Hearing none. All those in favor of this resolution say aye. aye. Opposed? The resolution is adopted. Mark, thank you so much for bringing us thank three you. resolutions this morning. And thank you to all of you. Um, we will now stand in recess. Are there any announcements? I'll accept a few announcements before we recess. I forgot the door prizes. How could I do that? But I, but I will accept some announcements, too. Um, so let's do our door prizes. Hello, everybody. How many can we do this morning? Couple well, more? Yeah, sure. Okay. We have a talking clock, a rising, raisin talking clock from North Dakota. Talking clock. Aubrey Webson. Is Aubrey Webson in the room? No, he went back to New York. Okay. Oh, well, they're telling me to give it to him. Uh -uh. Okay, uh -uh. it's a gift from ACB. If you make sure I receive that here at that table, I will get it to him. Oh, Thank okay. you. Okay. We'll, we'll bring it up to you. Thank you very much. Uh -huh. Okay, we have a $100... Ooh. Prize from Florida. Wow. Oh, I want it. I want it. Mm -hmm. no, Nobody's walking hang out on. the door on that one, I'll tell you. <laughs> Christina Becerra. Christina Becerra. Might be saying I, it wrong. Sorry, guys. I don't think she's here because I think okay. she might have been really excited to win $100. Beth who? Beth who? Beth Corley, Beth Corley, is she in the room? No. No? Okay. David Lachlan, Lachlan, David Lachlan, are you in the room? No, oh, I don't man. think so. Okay. <laughs> Anthony Walt, Anthony Walt, is he in the room? No. Okay. <laughs> Catherine Johnson, is she in the room? Catherine Johnson. No, I don't think so. Uh, Rick Morin? He Morin? is. I'm sure Ooh. he's in the room. Okay. And he is working hard for ACB, so All we're going right. to let him get that okay. wherever he may be. Congratulations, Rick. Stand up, Rick. jump up, raise your hand, Rick. He, he's a radio. What, to our left. He's up front, up here. Okay, we have another door prize. Okay, we'll do one more. One Thank more. you. It's a $25 Office Depot gift card from North Dakota. Armin 
Bacalian? Armin Bacalian? I'm sorry for saying that one so. wrong. Okay. William Meineke? He is He's here. Right. Close to yeah. you. Okay. <laughs> See you guys. All right. Are there any Donna individuals? Donna Pomerantz. Hi, everybody. A survey I have, announcement. I have ACB Braille Forum raffle tickets with me wherever I go. So if you hear me, see me, or trip over me, or I trip over you, I will still have an ACB Braille Forum ticket with me to sell. So um, please be sure to do that. Also, CCLVI and the Board of Publication is doing the large print survey. Folks, we would love to have as many of you fill them out. It's pretty easy. And if you're not able to find myself or Leslie Spoon or Zelda Gebhardt, go to the information desk, and they have them there. We need them back by tomorrow, as you read in the newspaper. So please, 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 everyone, give your input if you use large print on paper. Thank you. Thank you. Any Kim? other announcements? Yes. Kim? Identify yourself. Jerry Kors from Indiana. Okay. Um, when we went to have water aerobics Sunday night, the pool was so full of kids and the, everything was so loud that there was no way we could do it. So tonight we're supposed to have it again at 545. And if we find the same thing when we get down there and there's no place in the pool that we can do it, I'll have to cancel. All right. So just be aware of that. So a heads up to anyone doing aerobics that if it's crowded, it is the 4th of July, it is a holiday, it could very well be crowded. Yes, it could. So, um, so Jerry's giving you a heads up that it'll be canceled if it's crowded. All right. We stand in recess until tomorrow morning. Okay, we're going to go ahead and uh, run the agenda for tomorrow. And uh, then we'll sign off and we'll talk to you later this evening. Here is the agenda for Wednesday, July 5th. In the Rose Ballroom, beginning at 8 a.m., entertainment, Karen Idol, Houston, Texas. 8.30 a.m., Invocation, Michael Smitherman, Jackson, Mississippi, Pledge of Allegiance, 2017 DKM, first-timers, J.R. Kinnison, Bremerton, Washington, Graham Steele, Riverside, Wyoming, 8.35 a.m., ACB Business, ACB Sponsor Recognitions, Marjorie Beeman, Advertising and Sponsorship Coordinator, Austin, Texas, Constitution and Bylaws, John Huffman, Chair, Indianapolis, Indiana. Resolutions, Mark Reichert, Chair, Arlington, Virginia. Presiding Officer, Carla Rushevel, ACB Treasurer, Louisville, Kentucky. 9.15 a.m., National Conference and Convention Report, Janet Dickelman, Chair, Convention Committee, St. Paul, Minnesota. 9.35 a.m., Weathering the Changing Landscape of Rehabilitation Services, in a post-WIOA era. Moderator, Anthony Tony Stevens, ACB Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, Alexandria, Virginia. Panelists, 
Clark Rashfall, Program Manager, Public Policy, National Industries for the Blind, Alexandria, Virginia. Mark Reichert, Director, Public Policy and Strategic Initiatives, Washington, D.C., and Representative of the National Council of State Agencies for the Blind, NCSAB. Invited. 10.15 a.m. break. 10.30 a.m. National Advocacy and Legislative Update. Anthony Tony Stevens, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, Alexandria, Virginia. 10.55 a.m. update from APH. Dr. Craig Meter, President, American Printing House for the Blind, Louisville, Kentucky. 11.05 a.m. report on the ACB walk and auction. Dan Spoon, ACB Board of Directors, Orlando, Florida. Dan Dillon, Hermitage, Tennessee, co-chairs ACB Resource Development Committee. Donna Brown, walk chair, Romney, West Virginia. And Kim Hebert, chair, ACB Auction Committee, Lafayette, Louisiana. 11.30 a.m. Treasurer's Report, Carla Rushable, Louisville, Kentucky. 11.45 a.m. ACBES Report, Reverend Michael Garrett, Chair, ACB Enterprises and Services, Missouri City, Texas. 11.55 a.m. Announcements. And that concludes the agenda for Wednesday, July 5th. <music>